This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Isn't it great? You start the programme, the producer goes, try and be funny. I said, I don't need to try to be funny. I am funny. Some people are just funny, naturally. The producer isn't. You know, that's why. You know, he goes, oh, try, try and be funny. He said, try and be wittier than you were yesterday. And I, he comes up with all these little... Cle- he, he thinks it's motivational. He once went on a ready-brek course, and they sort of explained to him about, you know, having having sort of sugar puffs in the morning versus ready-brek. And he came back from it. He was very motivated. And he said, you know, because you've got to kind of think it's think out of the box, Steve. Think out of the box. I thought, well, if it's the box they're going to bury you in, I'll be thinking in it. So, um, you know, and then he sort of gives you rundowns on exactly what you can say in the programme. So, listen, you won't find anybody who can talk to time as well as Steve Allen, and that's this morning on LBC. It's almost embarrassing, isn't it? Sometimes it's like a gift. You know, they say to you, can you do a radio programme? Is the Pope Catholic? You know, it's, it makes no difference to me whatsoever. I did get slightly annoyed yesterday, slightly annoyed, because it was hot. Uh, but this morning, it's lovely, it's cold. In fact, there could be snow on the way with a bit, <laughs> bit of luck as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I hate it. hate it. But cold is much better for me. And then, bang, a light fuse today. So all the lights went out. And so I actually got ready under the light of candles. How romantic was that? Well, romantic for me. Not romantic for anybody else. So uh, Splash has been axed on the television. Which we thought it would be. It didn't do very well in the ratings last time. And also, it must be quite difficult, I would think, to get hold of celebrities who want to dive off a board. I've spoken to a number of people who... I couldn't do it. I wouldn't even... I'm not a celebrity. I want to make that quite clear from the offset that I am not a celebrity. It's going to be the opening line in my book, I think. Let me make it perfectly clear. I am not a celebrity. I have no interest in being a celebrity. I do not attention-seek. I just do a job. It's like a juggler. You don't... You know, you just go out there and you juggle. I come in and do a radio programme. The bad news for telly lovers, dreary old Melanie Sykes is dragging her weary old carcass back onto television with, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, it's the bloke who cooks, who can't speak English very well. He's, uh, he talk like this, uh, is it G- uh, Campo Gino? Campo Gino's coming back on the telly again. I don't know, I can't believe, I think, I'm totally convinced, you know, that he walks off the set and goes, is that all right, boys? All right? I've just got a feeling about it. Anyway, the programme was dire, but they're bringing it back again. I suppose it's cheap. Instagram has deleted photos of a, of a mum's picture of a little girl showing her belly button. To be honest with you, it's, a, it's, it's you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if I have a comment on something like that. But I just think, why would you want to print a picture of a little girl lifting up her top and showing you her belly button? I mean, I know that they do do that. Why would you want to put it in a social media outlet so other people can look at it? Other people might, might think differently about stuff like that. Uh, worried parents have hit out after girls as young as seven have been given pole dancing lessons. Dear, I mean, there's something. I mean, I can understand it as part of an exercise class, but to actually call it pole dancing means that it's a bit tacky and it uh, takes on an edge of not niceness because pole dancing is tacky and cheap and it's generally done by old tarts, isn't it? They do it and they they do it in the half light and everybody looks attractive. Even I look half attractive in the light. Uh, uh, what else? Are they? Oh, the the um, the boozer pictures of Davy Boy Beckham and Tom Cruise. Somebody's obviously taking a picture. They went out to a boozer because, you know, Beckham just left. Why not invite him back to his house and sit there? But I, I get the feeling that, you know, poor old Davy Boy Beckham is just a bit lonely. You never see him out with anybody, do you? You never see him out with a group of mates. When was the last time you saw a picture of Davy Boy Beckham out with his mates? And the answer is, he doesn't have any mates. He's got Tom Cruise, but the conversation is probably a bit stilted. So what you done? Well, I can't lie. Took, took, me, took me trousers off, did me pants. And, um, and the Victorian and I had a picture taken out, and that was it. Then I went home and had spaghetti hoops. 
I used to like alphabetic spaghetti. So Davy Boy Beckham and uh, Thomas the Cruise out in a pub in Notting Hill. Victoria Pendleton had a cameo role in EastEnders. I don't know if you saw it. And she's now convinced... Sorry? Emmerdale. That's right. What did I say? Yeah, well, she might want EastEnders as well. I don't know. Yeah. So she did it in, in Emmerdale. And uh, she's now... Se- I mean, hilarious, isn't it? She now thinks, I, th- I think I'll be a full-time actor. God, there's none so stupid as our sports people, is there, really? Uh, so all of that and uh, more this morning, including how apparently uh, when the buses go cashless, I think which is on the, uh, the 6th of July or something like that, uh, it could strand 2,000 people each day. Hooray! <laughs> Good. I'd be quite glad to get on buses that aren't full. Although the time I get on the buses, they're not very full anyway. But they've said, oh, you know, because people can't cope, you know. But I hardly see anybody offering cash on a bus now. You'd have to be a fool. You would have to be a fool. Anyway, uh, Junior is back in Edinburgh Royal Infirmary, as far as I know. He says, uh, whilst in Turkey, went for a blood test, showed that my white cell count was high. Now, okay, you're talking here against something I know nothing about at all. Nothing. He says, I have private insurance, so I got uh, seen by a consultant oncologist. My pancreas was fighting against inflammation and the cancer has resurfaced, so I've flown back home to Glasgow Thursday... Started the first of three chemo sessions, finished one last night, and the blood showed a good trend, heading for remission. Biopsy, no spread. Good news. He said, I start the second course today, third one finish on Saturday, then I go home to get my strength back. Great bunch of friends who know I've got pancreatic cancer. They stay with me, get me eating cooking. It's great if somebody comes around and cooks, isn't it? Is that the best thing you can ever have? Somebody who would come... I mean, my, uh, my idea of absolute bliss and heaven would be... You go home, somebody's cleaned, they've done everything, the car's been washed, filled up with petrol, everything's done for you, and, and they're cooking delicious food. But it's healthy food at the same time. He says, small meals regularly. Um, I don't like everybody knowing my predicament. Uh, if all goes to plan, I'm back in Turkey in 12 days. I was thinking 10, but that's uh, a bit hasty. So uh, I've got the constitution of an ox. Probably be eating one over the next few days, I should imagine. <laughs> 84850... Steve at lbc.co.uk. We weave it all in. So uh, we'll go through the papers as per usual. We got any... I, was, I, was, I got... Got a bit annoyed the other day. Uh, I, was, I went on to the, uh, onto YouTube because somebody had sent me a text message saying, oh, you'll be delighted to know that the revolting Josie Cunningham appeared on Loose Women. And so I watched a little bit of it. There's only a bit of it up on YouTube. And it's Mylene Class, who quite clearly hates her to pieces, in keeping with everybody else, so don't think I'm picking on Mylene Class. This ghastly old bag from Leeds, this total waste of space, this vacuous, empty vessel, appears on the television, looking, I thought, seriously, I laughed. Somebody said to me, she's 23, I said, it was so stupid, she's about 50. She's got one of those sort of very boring voices, and I'll be glamour model, and I'm thinking... Do you know, I can't think of anything that you could actually do. I mean, even hooking wasn't particularly successful. You managed to get yourself pregnant. You must be the stupidest hooker in the business. But uh, she didn't do anything. And she's droning on about, you know, I had a medical condition. Small people used to laugh at my small boobs. No, they laugh at you, dear. They're laughing at you because you're so thick. They're laughing at you because you're, you're sort of the, the parasitic side of this country that is vile. You know, given the choice, people would want to, you know 
tie you into the stocks and pelt you with rotten mangoes. That's what they'd like to do to you. They hate you. They absolutely hate you. And so she can't get on a bus. Well, get over yourself, love. Loads of people can't get on buses for various reasons. Mylene Klass was uh, saying... Actually, to be honest with you, Mylene didn't quite get it right. She was saying, you know, what about all the people on the NHS who are not getting operations because of you? And she's going... I mean... To be fair to Josie Cunningham, and I never thought I'd be saying this, the fault of the NHS for giving it to her in the first place. The fault of the doctor for going, oh yeah, let's waste four and a half thousand quid on this old bag to give her a pair of boobs that she doesn't actually want anymore. And she's still smoking. You know, because there ain't no rule about smoking, is there? No, you can smoke yourself to death, love, please. You know, do something that might make, you know, the country proud of you, but no, you're a waste of space. I hope to God you're not on benefits. That would really, really annoy me if you were on benefits. I think it would annoy everybody else. And so don't go on there. And so I watched that bit, and then there's a bit where she's interviewed on Daybreak. And to watch Lorraine Kelly smarming over her, I mean, oh, so, you know, you had a dreadful life and you would had... What? What? Gee. Ooh, God, I couldn't believe it. I sat, in the end, I sat upstairs, we were all, I said, I've got, I can't stop watching. I'm sorry, I've, I've got to stop watching, because it's making me angry, where you get a so-called journalist like Lorraine Kelly, so-called journalist, pandering over this waste of bloody space. I was furious, furious. And people say, oh, right, so you want to be a glamour model. What, why are you not picking on her? Why are you not sort of saying, listen, you know, you're a waste of space. Get out there and get a job. You're not going to be a glamour model, love. You ain't got any looks. You look like a 50-year-old old bag. You know, but she didn't. She pandered to her. It was a bit of brown-nosing, and I didn't like it at all, I'm afraid. It really annoyed me. So, anyway, enough of her. She is in the paper today. You know why? Because Catherine Tilsley from Coronation Street, not a big fan of Catherine Tilsley either, she said that if she got on her bus, she'd smack her. You know, seems to be in keeping with the rest of the country. And so, uh, what has Josie Cunningham done? Because she's not stupid. She knows how to play the system. She's a bit like White D. I, I can't do it. Bipolar. I love when 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 is that evident? Suffer from depression, really? Well, I've never seen you looking depressed, love. Perhaps, perhaps there's a time when you you know perhaps you do do it, you know perhaps. But I've I've never seen evidence of it. I know you've managed to keep it. I mean, it's great when you can smoke and drink. Perhaps if you stop smoking and drinking, that might be good actually. That might be good. Might be good for you. And so Josie Cunningham's gone to the police over Catherine Tilsley's tweets, which she's now deleted, and um, and she said, "I want her suspended from Coronation Street." Stupid. So thick, and uh, and I want compo, really love. I think you're ugly. Go on, go for compo, go for compo. You'll have a hard job to prove that one in a court of law. It's called fair comment. Fair comment. Uh, Gary says, have you seen the waxworks of the Beckhams? David looks like Gary Barlett. No, I think they look brilliant. You talk about the one into Madame Two Swords. Look fantastic. What are you talking about? You're blind or something? They look absolutely brilliant. The Victoria Beckham one is more lifelike than the real thing. It's more animated, to be honest with you. More animated. Quarter past four. Ferrari and the team this morning with you from seven on the morning of the State of London debate. Nick will be talking to Boris Johnson about what he makes of the phone hacking verdict. Plus, how has Leveson helped change the press and should we ban the smoking of cigarettes in public? Oh, you'll never... You don't see as many people smoking in public, though, do you? Chris Blackhurst is the group content director. The Independent Eye Evening Standard London Live TV will be in the studio looking at the papers with Nick. Actually, it's funny, listening to Josie Cunningham's boring voice the other day reminded me so much of, uh, of our very own Jordan, the one with the equally boring... Although I did hear a dreadful voice on LBC this morning. It's not very often that I hear a voice that kind of leaps out at me as being, you know, somebody who's quite clearly a little bit troubled. I can't remember what his name was. I think Terry or something. Like, what a dreadful voice. Really sounded boring. Do you remember that one? Did you hear that one earlier on? Terry, with a very dull voice. Just sounded a little bit... A bit like that. He's in a funny mood this morning. What's the matter with him this morning? Definitely not. He's not his usual happy-go-lucky self, is he? 
And we've given him a ham sandwich. What's the matter with him? He's on a promise, isn't he? Is he going out on a date? It's amazing how some people manage to get their love life geared up at 20 past four in the morning. I can barely make it at 10 o'clock. But anyway, no, so I, was, I, I like listening to voices on the radio. I do like listening, but some have got such boring voices. Oh, dear me. As I say, akin roughly to Josie Cunningham, who's not only got the most boring voice, but also dreadfully unattractive. You know, just a sponger. But she's learnt how to play the system and more fool the people up in Leeds for going for it. I'd have said, no, you're not having it. But then, of course, you probably find, a, you know, somebody like a lawyer and they'll go, well, you can't deny her a right to have huge bosoms. And you think, yeah, perhaps a brain might be nice, actually. Put a, put a brain cell in there. That'd be a first, wouldn't it? So, on the 6th of um, July, they're going to uh, stop cash on the buses. Well, I wasn't aware that you could do cash on the buses in London. I thought you have to get off and get a ticket or, or something like that. But they now reckon that 2,000 people could be stranded each day. Good. Good. Couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. Apparently, 2,115 Oyster cards were lost, stolen or stopped working every day last year. A total of 770,000. Do you know, I've never had any problem with my Oyster card. Never had any problem with the Oyster card at all. Never. Never at all. I've used it on the bus and if, if the Oyster card doesn't work, I've got another card as well. But it's never not worked. It's brilliant. I think it's a brilliant system. And I've not registered it, registered it either. I don't need to register my Oyster card. Some people like to register. As far as I'm concerned, you know, as few people as possible have your name and address, the better. You know, otherwise you get inundated with all this junk mail. And I don't really want any junk mail. I just, you know, want to go out there. And I top up the Oyster card. I do it automatically at the station. I go there, put the card on the thing. It's a fairly simple thing, unless you're completely stupid. And you push a button and it goes, how much do you want to put on your card? And you go £10 or £5 or £20. And you could top it up to about £90, I've had on it before now. I think at the moment I've probably got about 70-something quid on the car because I haven't used it at all this week because every day I've been finishing after 9.30. And it means I can use the free Boris card, which is great. I love that. Absolutely love it. Uh, Zach says, it's a pity Mr Suarez didn't bite a few England players. Might have woken them up. Third time, isn't it? This is the third time he's bitten somebody. Perhaps he's got some sort of strange fetish. Kevin the Milkman says, sorry, Steve, couldn't help but think uh, of the life of Brian. Stephen's not a celebrity. He's just a very naughty boy. Yes, and she said it. He's not the Messiah. The Messiah, the Ma- he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy as he stands there stark naked in the window. Very funny. Uh, every day a few dopes offer me cash on my bus. Given that it makes their journey 95p more expensive, they are particularly dumb. You know, I, I don't understand why. All you've got to do is you go in, you get an Oyster card, you don't need to register or do anything at all, and you load it with 10 quid or whatever you've, you can afford. And then every so often you top it up again. If you get on a bus, just remember it drops down. And they can all print off a thing, go into your local news agent, say, can you print off a list of where I've been? And they could do it, because it's a computer, so it's all listed. It doesn't have to be to your name or anything like that. It can make you put your Auntie Annie on there. I only feel sorry for those England fans who travel to support those pampered, overpaid voids. Total embarrassment on the World Cup, says Lee. I don't know why we bother, actually. We've got, uh, we got tennis, haven't we? And there they are, the ne'er-do-wells, the Vernon Kays of this world, and uh, Toss Daly, sitting in the Royal Box. Can't understand what he's doing there. Obviously no work at the moment. Obviously no work. And, uh, and Bruce Forsyth. And, uh, and, his w- and his wife, Wilnelia, who now sells her bags on QVC. It's amazing, isn't it? They've been around in the business for donkey's years, and she starts flogging bags on QVC. Why are you selling a bag? 
84850. I don't really mind, actually, whether you text or not this morning. I'm feeling in such a good mood, and I'm, I hope it rains today. In fact, I really hope it rains. I went out, got back yesterday. Having got back, having done my interviews, I did John Craven yesterday. He's, uh, he's lovely. 73, I think. 73. And uh, that'll be running this... Oh, no, not this weekend. Is it this weekend? I now can't remember when it's running. I think this weekend, we're going to be... Wait a minute, I can tell you, actually. Oh, Carl Davis and Don Johnson. Oh, nice. Very nice. You'll like that one. And then today I'm recording uh, Milton John Jones. <laughs> and, uh, and then tomorrow... Who am I doing tomorrow? Brian Cox, the actor. And, uh, and then we've got... Oh, loads of people coming out. I've got an armful of people. And then I've got a meeting with a publisher when I finish after the interview today. So it's going to be quite a nice little day, actually. So if it rains, it's a bonus. I don't really care if it, uh, if it rains now. I, mean, I, I just... I welcome it. I think the ground needs it. Nice, nice bit of uh, nice bit of cool air floating around this morning, which it is, which is actually great. If Kevin's got his legs out again, he probably had, even in this weather, you could probably. But I did walk out the front door this morning, and I did think to myself, "Oh, it's definitely a bit noticeably chilly." Doesn't bother me. I love it. Eight four eight five zero. Steve at lbc.co.uk. Mark says Greg Wallace reckons he's a food connoisseur. I don't think so. He's he's a man whose businesses seem to fail, don't they? Left right. Is he still on the telly? I don't know if he's still on the telly. I never know who's on the telly nowadays. It's only when I turn on, I go, oh, blimey, they're still working. I love the story about uh, Gemma Collins. They lent her a big flash car for Marbella so she could drive one of those two um, unattractive boys, either Harry Durbridge (laughs) or the other one, Bobby Connorris, (laughs) around. Anyway, I didn't even think she could get in this car. This car's quite a sleek sports car. Anyway, she crashed it into a wall. I don't know what she's driving at home. I'm assuming a ten-ton truck. You wouldn't be able to get her in anything else, would you? Sun this morning, uh, talking about uh, freeloader Josie Cunningham. This is the 23-year-old who looks about 70. And uh, she also claimed on Loose Women that she's, she believes she's a role model. Has she got an agent, do you think? Is her agent telling you, go on there, tell him you're a role model and you're a victim. Tell him you're a victim. Yeah, tell him Steve Allen hates you as well. On the X Factory, they're looking for, they're missing for various things. So uh, this is a a secret X Factor shopping list issued to talent scouts, exposing how the show is frantic to dish up the same act as in previous series. So what they're looking for, they want a cool young choir, a female diva, diva, uh, a young bad boy, some sassy girls, in other words, some foul-mouthed old baggages. Who did they put on the toast? I went to YouTube. What was her name now? I can't believe. Some, um, that's right, some Chloe Mafia. What in God's name was that? What in God's name? What a disgusting piece of work. I was watching, I was reminded, looking at her and her disgusting, cheap-looking outfits, and she couldn't sing for top. She had no talent at all. And yet again, it's another one where they do brown-nosing on the television. I think it was on this morning. It was really awful. I mean, I feel so sorry for Philip Schofield having to sort of interview these lowlifes. And uh, then I watched a programme on the telly last night called Coppers. Oh, actually, before that. Oh, before that. Oh, hilarious. Have you seen Peter Andre's 60-year makeover programme, where thick as a brick Pete, and I have to tell you how thick he is now. I mean, he's quite clearly, I mean, I'm assuming he, he goes round with a big entourage because he's a bit stupid. What did he manage to do yesterday that they went, oh, well done, Pete, you've done very well there. They talked to him like he's five. He managed, wait for this, he's 40-plus years old, and he managed to... And he got really excited. Yeah, I, I've learnt something on this programme, goes Pete in his funny little butch voice. He can put glue on a piece of wood. 
So he puts glue on a piece of wood and he does it, you know, like you put glue. 40 years old, OK? He's never done this before. This is his sole achievement in life. And he goes, yeah, because you like me doing this because you don't like my singing. I thought, nobody likes your singing, love. Nobody likes your singing. And so he, he puts the wood on. And then the next thing, the bloke who's teaching him how to put glue on a piece of wood, because Pete is that, is that dim, he goes, what are you doing? He says, I'm just wiping off the excess. He says, not on your overalls, you don't. That's a brand new set of overalls. What a plank. What a plank. And Pete is so stupid. I mean, this really exposes how dim he is. So on a brand new overall, he puts glue on and he wipes it off. But it gets better. They give Pete the nail gun. So, yeah, if only. If only. I was thinking the same. And he puts the piece of wood on the top. Bearing in mind, this is, uh, he's making, there's a joint. At the end of the piece of wood, there is a hole. It's like a mortise and tenon. And so he's put the glue on, and then you would slide the piece in, and then it, it's glued up. That's fine. So he's stapled, he's, he's, got the, he's got the nail gun out to put the wood on the top. What has he done? He goes, like that. And the bloke goes, what are you doing? He goes, because Pete is so thick. I'll just, I'll use the nail gun to hold the, while, while the glue's drying. So it's, it's reinforced it. So he goes, turn it round. So they turn it round, and the hole where the mortise and tenon join up, the nail is sticking right down the middle of it, so you can't get the piece... He's so thick. He is so thick. I mean, this is absolutely bordering on, you need to go back to school, mate. You're obviously... There's something the matter with you. You're 40 years older. And then he... Worse thing was, having to... He goes, oh, he doesn't know how to, doesn't know how to solve it because he's stupid. He does it the other end of the wood as well. The bloke goes, you've just done it again. And Pete goes, oh... I thought, do you know, there is thick, and then there's Peter Andre. But honestly, it was when they put the glue on, and he went, yeah, I've really learnt something on this programme. I thought, what, you've never put wood on a... God, I tell you, lose the will to live, don't you? Lose the will to live. What him and M's have in common, I can't imagine. She's training to be a doctor. I shouldn't imagine he can even read a prescription, if indeed he can even read. The programme was the worst I've ever seen. But I'll tell you about the Coppers programme, because that highlights the Josie Cunninghams. It highlights the Chloe Mafias, the lowlife. The people who not only have gone under the radar, they're a waste of space. They think life owes them a living, but they've got no talent whatsoever. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You remember Josie Cunningham? I'll abort my child if I get on Big Brother. That's how disgusting she is. That's how bad it really is. That's how bad we've sunk in this country. That's how dreadfully embarrassing it really is. Quick time check for you, because I know you're dying to know, aren't you? It's 4.30. Morning, everybody. 28 minutes to five, my friend Duncan. Occasionally, when we both had a sherbet, uh, we will start texting each other, and we go for about 15, 20 minutes texting, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. Uh, Poor Peter Andre, says Jonathan Levi. And um, the show is all run by women and the production team love him and baby him. He looks so incongruous, incongruous. He does, actually, yes. I mean, I have to be honest, it was just, it was just embarrassing. It was just embarrassing. His little blue overalls. But he was wiping the glue off and you could feel, and the, the bloke who was trying to teach him, and he said, yeah, but you've been doing it for like 40 years. I thought, he's only putting glue on a piece of wood. It was really... I mean, it was just... You felt a bit sorry for him. Because the trouble is, Peter Andre has never quite made it to adulthood. You know, he's still playing at doing what he's doing. His agent obviously loves him. She'd have to, if you persevere with that. They must say, would you like to put Peter Andre on? Not really, no. <laughs> please, please put him on somewhere. Otherwise, he'll sit at home and be bored and have to start doing jigsaws again. Uh, Jackie says, if you register your oyster, if you lose it, it'll get stolen. The balance will be transferred to a new card. Yeah, but lucky, Jackie, I'm rich. 
I couldn't care less. It doesn't bother me. It's like, it's never, ever going to be lost or stolen. Never, ever. I am the most aware person in... I've worked in London for quite a number of years. I'm the most aware person. Don't find me, you know, I mean, I won't use cash points if I see other people around there. I'm that good. And nobody gets anywhere near my Oyster card. It's not in my wallet. It's in a secret place. So I don't care. I don't want to register it. You know, some people do. They've got like five pound on it or something. I've got, I think, last count. I think probably on my Oyster card today, I've probably got about 70 pounds on it. You're welcome to try and take it. Welcome to try and take it. Heartbroken Katie Price. Dreary Katie Price, I'm afraid, is supporting her cheating husband while he gets treatment for historic issues. What, cheating? Hilarious. Hilarious. Stripping, having sex with another woman on camera? Hilarious. Hilarious. Poor old Katie Price. She can't find anybody, can she? She can't find anybody at all. And uh, she's stressed. She doesn't necessarily mean she's taking him back. We know you will, because you're a bit dim. Because you don't have anybody else. So you've got to do that. Uh, they, uh, they wed for 17 months. He had a, an affair. I think it went on for about seven months, the affair. So, uh, I'm glad that he's, uh, he's managed to twist you, little, uh, little Katie, around his little finger. Hilarious, isn't it, really? But, uh, but she's expecting their second child. She went, Kieran's undergoing treatment with respect to some of his historic issues. <laughs> yeah, where? Where, love? Are you sitting at home, beating him over the head with a cricket bat? That's probably the kind of thing that uh, that would happen in their household. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, she's, she ain't all that, is she? Otherwise, she'd still be with people. But uh, there's nothing glamorous about Katie Price. It is really like sort of old woman tarted up. And and you feel a bit sorry for her. I mean, I have to, I've started feeling sorry for her. Never thought I'd say that. You know, there's no fun in her life at all. Years and years ago, when she was drunk on the scene and she pranced in and out of nightclubs looking like an old floozy, then it was funny. Now it's just sad. Sad old woman, flabby old body, you know, skinny, unattractive, bad hair, bad makeup, bad skin, no real man to look after. Every single one of them, they're not interested in it, they just do it for the publicity. And she's fallen for Kieran. It's hilarious. I feel like saying, you know, once they've done it once, love, they'll do it again. I mean, this, this will split up again. And the next night will be for good, and then she'll do the usual chronically bad lines that she comes up with. I'm never trusting men ever again. I think she only wants the children. That's all she really fancies, I think, is having loads and loads of children. But I still maintain, I want to see the company accounts. I want to see this so-called 35 million she's supposed to have. I don't think it exists. I really don't. Going back to the X Factor. So what they're looking for, they're looking for young, sassy girls. That's basically two people who are going to beat the living daylights out of each other. They're looking for a man of the people, a male singer, groups, or a very camp group. Well, that could be just about anybody, couldn't it, on the X Factor. And a boy with a great story who's cute and talented. That's what they're looking for. So you're either looking for a gay group, uh, a cute boy whose, you know, grandfather has died, but his dying wish was to to put him on the X Factor and to see him succeed. None of them do, of course. They go on tour. In fact, have you heard the latest reality show? Louisa Zisman, who's so untelly-friendly, so untelly-friendly, um, is opening a bar somewhere to be run by the members of Blue, otherwise known as that bankrupt, talentless boy band, you know, who are, who are going to be doing this programme, and then... They're going off for, for their little tour, where they'll all pretend to... It'll be awful, really, because poor old Lee, Lee... Lee what's-his-name will have to go on the bus, won't he? Because he's lost his licence. I'd hate to think he was even secretly driving. Uh, Steve, six months to the big day. I know it's early, but if you haven't got it already, get hold of Brooke Benton's Memories of Christmas album. Hard to find. Might be on Amazon cheap this time of year. You will enjoy it, says Kevin the Kent Milkman. But Kevin the Milkman... He says, the legs are out and the white socks are ready to glow in the sunrise. 
And Martin on the M4 says, your, Prince Ch- your Bruce Forsyth impression sounded like Prince Charles trying to hold back a sneeze. Very rude. I think it's a perfect... Higher, lower, higher, lower. It's not like a child of a sneeze at all. What are you on about? Looking at uh, some of the people who've been on The X Factor, James Failure Arthur, another fight in a club in Poland, I'm afraid. He's sporting a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a mark on his face. Tamara Foster, who grew up in a tough neighbourhood. Um, I don't know what she's doing now. Uh, Joseph Whelan, his tattoos and Led Zeppelin renditioning uh, brought rock and roll to the show. Never heard of him. Only Boys Allowed, my favourites. When they were on there, <laughs> wiped the floor with people. Leona Lewis, yep, she's done quite well. Shane Ward, has he done anything really? Is Shane Ward finished now? I don't know. One Direction, I mean, possibly the most successful out of all the people on there. Diva Fever, this is, I mean, t- just two gay boys on the television. It was pathetically bad, I'm afraid. And Nicholas MacDonald, who was the, the little Scottish boy, and he stole the hearts of mums and just came runner-up. And he's disappeared as well. Because if they, if they can't sell albums with them, they don't bother. They don't bother. Only Boys Allowed have got an album out, and very good it is too. I'd recommend going to YouTube and uh, and checking everything, because it's, it's much better that way. But I wouldn't buy anything by James Arthur. I'm not remotely interested. I wouldn't buy anything by Cher Lloyd. Not remotely interested. Wouldn't buy anything by Wagner. Wouldn't buy anything by... Um, a very camp group, either. Why would you? Why would you bother? They're just there for novelty, novelty value. Um, I'd forgotten about Diva Fever. But now I sort of remember. And Tamara Foster wasn't she going out with somebody on the tour? Didn't she go out with that poor Sam Callahan, who sort of he's disappeared completely, disappeared completely. You know why? I was absolutely right, absolutely right. I couldn't be faulted on that one at all. I said, listen. Because they, they were doing the show, too much publicity. His mother was obviously running some little pathetic fan club and going, oh, he's really famous. I'm thinking, don't be so stupid. Don't be so stupid. You know, about who he bedded, and then he was pictured with his shirt off, and then coming out the sea. It was all, he was doing some gay act for somebody. I don't know who he was doing it for. But his career just, well, there was, there was no career. It just, it just vanished before your very eyes, ladies and gentlemen. And they all, they all just disappear. And then they'll pop up a few years later. We did delight in telling you that Jasmine Walia from uh, The Only Way is Essex turned up on one of the talent shows, I think The X Factor, and uh, A, she can't sing, and B, nobody knew who she was. How embarrassing. I'm on television, I'm Jasmine Walia. Yeah, what do you do? I'm on The Only Way is Essex. Are you? As what? As Jasmine Walia. Nobody likes her at all. Lenny Henry says TV bosses should be forced to hire a minimum number of black and Asian actors to stop stars moving to America. He says at least half on any show should be from an ethnic minority to prevent the UK hemorrhaging talent, such as The Wire star Idris Elba. Lenny said that the uh, £2.1 million plan on BBC's uh, thing launched last week to boost diversity didn't go far enough. The Beeb says it will boost training chances for black, Asian and minority ethnics, so-called BAME. The trouble is, and, and whilst Lenny is, is quite right, there's no point in just putting people on the television because they're ethnic. That's ridiculous. You know, you put somebody in if they're good. If you've got a role for somebody and you think that that person would be good for it, it's like Lenny Henry. You know, Lenny Henry had his, his comedy show. You don't think he was given it because he was black, do you? He was given it because he's funny. That's why he was setting groundbreaking things and he'd been around for ages. He'd been doing his act, you know, a long, long time. He'd worked hard. He'd worked his way up through the business. You can't just go, oh, you're actually ethnic Asian. Oh, we put you in this show. Make up numbers. doesn't work like that. doesn't work like that. You, you put people in there if they're, if they're right. If they're right for it. 
George, the Warburton's driver, says you don't have to top up your Oyster card. When you're our age, you pay £10 and get a Freedom Pass. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't work all the time. It only works after 9.30 on the overground trains. I can use it on the underground, and I can use it on the buses, if I had one. Um, and <laughs> I fell into that one. Uh, so, you're right, actually, you don't have to... Um, you don't have to uh, to use the Oyster card at all. You can get by on the other one. But I've I've got, I know a friend who's got the uh, the Boris one. So you know, just you know, just to let people know about that. I've got the uh, the other card. Melanie Sykes, boring old Melanie Sykes, has spoken for the first time, and uh, she's done it to OK Magazine. About the only people interested now, or the back of a postage stamp, about her volatile split from husband Jack Cockings, TV star Mel, hundred and ninety. TV star Mel. When was the last time she was on television? She was arrested and cautioned for assault when her marriage to build a jack fell apart, but she said, I don't regret a thing, single thing, never do, I know. That's the trouble with you, see, you haven't learnt from your mistakes. Anyway, she seems to have been badly hurt by the breakup, but she said she held it together for the sake of her sons. Oh, big up, big up you, eh? Big up you. You managed to hold it all together. And she says, life goes on, it hasn't been easy, it's a big deal, but I make my life happen and my friends and family help me. Oh God, how dri- They do talk drivel, these people, don't they? I don't know why they even bother. But anyway, she's back on ITV next month. And let's do lunch with uh, Gino DeCampo and uh, Mel. She said she exercised three times a week and followed... Who cares? Who cares? You're just flogging a new series coming up on the television, dear. We know what you're like. You've been cautioned for an assault. Not very nice at all. And then you did that embarrassing picture, didn't you, where you posed in your scanties. You're 170. Don't do it. Goodness sake, honestly, nobody wants to see something old like that. Looks dreadful. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Another one here. And uh, as we read everything out on the programme, this is... Uh, somebody's crying with laughter. Perhaps it's conjunctivitis. Could be anything nowadays, couldn't it, if you're driving down the motorway, which is hilarious. And... Um, I'm an on-off smoker for over ten years. <coughs> Nine months being the longest off cigarettes. And uh, Malcolm says, I recently tried e-cigarettes. So two months off, and people asked me if I smoke. I said, I only smoke when I'm on fire. I decided to quit this time, because every time I came out of the train station to light up, young men would always say, have you got a spare fag, please? I'd look them in the eye and say, sorry, I don't smoke. Yes, I used to say, they say, do you, the, the, the favourite line I used to get was, have you got a spare, no, pe- people poncing cigarettes. I was out standing outside waiting for the cab the other day. And, um, and somebody, somebody walked past me and go, excuse me, mate. I thought, I'm not your mate. Excuse me, mate. He said, have you got a spare fag? I wanted to say to him, listen, thicko, do I look like I smoke? Of course I don't. Perfect skin, no wrinkles, absolutely perfect complexion. You know, look at me, ta-da! And he, he, he looked a bit rough, so I said, no, I don't smoke. Which, which kind of, you know, made, made sense, and he sort of seemed fairly happy with that. It's funny, isn't it? I'm so glad I don't smoke. I'm so glad I don't smoke anymore. I used to smoke. Used to smoke, and I would spend, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of money on it. But not anymore. Not anymore. Not for about, I don't know, it must be about a good 10, 12 years, I would think, now. And I feel much better for it. I can spot smokers a mile off. You know, they're holding a cigarette and going like that. Because I'm quite observant, you know. Quarter to five. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to be company. Welcome along to Wednesday morning, 12 minutes to five. It's the first time I've given you a time check in about 20 minutes. I don't like giving time checks. I don't like to think about the programme whizzing through at high speed. I'm indebted to the Daily Mirror today who lifted my interview with Ronnie Corbett. 
They do thank LBC. They don't thank me. They thank LBC. And this is Ronnie Corbett um, talking here. Ronnie told LBC Radio, should really say Steve Allen, but it doesn't matter. Uh, I miss Ronnie Barker. Yes. Oh, God, I can't drive along the street off St. James's. I took a call from Ron. He said, you know I'm going. And that was the last time I spoke to him. So there you go. He says, I've been in the business for 62 years. It's a marriage made in heaven, and I still enjoy a glass of wine. He does. He likes his glass of wine. Ronnie Corbett, who was my guest on In Conversation uh, last week. Last week. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, William enjoyed the show. He also likes the, uh, the Pret baguettes. These are the ones I'm, I've become addicted. I've got to cut back on them because it's bread, cheese. It's all the wrong things, but it's quite delicious. Quite delicious. And uh, and Steve says, celebrate your Thursday show. It'll mark the point when it's closer to next Christmas than last Christmas. <laughs> you know me and Christmas. And uh, Peter Mabbott's up early this morning. Must be some reason for that, I should imagine. Perhaps a massage or something. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Di says, women are in line for parity before black males let them take their turn. Because I suppose you could argue that there are lots of people who don't get a go on the television. Who, you know, I've spoken to actresses before now. In fact, I spoke to a very famous actress uh, who'd come out of a very long-running soap, and she said, I've just done this stage play. She said, but she was with, in this stage play, that uh, girl who had the affair with John Leslie. You know, the, the former nurse. And, what was that? Abby Titmus. And she said, she's got three offers on the table. She said, I'm, I haven't got anything at the moment. And I think it's notoriety, isn't it? It's notoriety. They go, well, let's put Abby Titmus on that. But although she's disappeared completely, after all the publicity, you know, one time she was training to be... I suppose she could always fall back on it. She could always fall back on being a nurse, I suppose. Um, what else we got in the papers for today? Uh, this is... Uh, oh, pubs empty. England nil, apathy one. W-O-N. W-O-N. And uh, Respect Our Elderly, the Mirrors Care Charter. This is after these disgusting people working in this care home abuse this woman with, with dementia. And I hope that when one of them goes to prison for four months, one can only pray that maybe people pay him a little visit and perhaps show him the error of his ways. Fiona Phillips says, I wish I put a camera in my mum's room like Gladys's son did. We've seen it a few times, haven't we, where we've heard of uh, families who've heard of their parents being abused and they've tried to explain what's going on inside the care home. And they've put hidden cameras in there just to see what goes on. And we've seen horrendous things. These people should be taken out and shot. I mean, I think it's absolutely abhorrent. I think it's the most most awful thing you could ever do is to abuse an elderly... To abuse anybody. You know, a, an animal or an elderly... But an elderly person with dementia who they physically held down at one point. You want to go round there and take some big bloke in there and sort them out. You re- it's, just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And there's no deterrent. Four months for abusing a woman with, with, uh, with dementia. What would he be out in? Two months. Do they care? No. They couldn't care less at all. They really couldn't. And that's what's awful. Oh, God, what a boring interview. In the mirror today, an exclusive Lydia Dim on her return to the Only Wears Essex, the woman with the blandest face in the business. What a dullard. And, you know, and the claim to fame is, I was hurt when Arge cheated on me with Amy. Because Arge throws it about all over the place. He doesn't care. Gemma Collins, Amy Childs. She and I were never real friends, as she's not very loyal. Funny how you were always posing with her. But, I mean, you know, once an old tart, always an old tart. And, unfortunately, the only way Essex is made up of an awful lot of old tarts. And so they're on there. Nobody's interested in your boring life, Lydia. Nobody really is interested at all. This is... It's, it's another one of these sort of fake celebrity type. You know, the people who believe that we're remotely interested in their dull lives. And I'm afraid her life is duller than most. So her best friend now is a dog. Make up your own jokes. And, um, and she's very close to her family. 
Lovely. Nobody cares, dear. Nobody cares. That's the trouble. You're mistaking us for people who give a damn, because we don't. We really don't. Here's the picture of James Arthur. My God, he's unattractive. Involved in a ruckus in a night spot in Poland. Seems everywhere he goes, doesn't it, really? He seems to be, uh... He seems to be sort of either put upon by people or he starts a fight or something goes on and you just, you just lose the will to live, I'm afraid. You forget Jedward. They still work on Celebrity Juice. Yeah, but that was all pre-recorded. They, they just do... They did a whole lot of things in a day and that was it. They just spread them out. So, and Jedward, I mean, ever since they were dropped by Louis Walsh, they can't get arrested now. I think their mother was looking after them. I mean, she didn't know anything about the business. That's why if, if you're going to... You know, if you're going to go into the business of celebrity, you need a proper, a proper person who knows how to look after you and a person who knows exactly uh, what sort of work they can get you. And Jedward, I mean, they just turned out to be a pair of idiots. You know, they had their five minutes of fame. It's tailed off completely now. They've had to go back to being... I mean, the next thing is they'll probably take all their clothes off and pose for a magazine or something, and they'll become art models, a bit like Gilbert and George. I see that kind of thing happening. But I just don't see anything else now. They're just... They're, they're too stupid to be anywhere else. I always remember that time, as we said yesterday on the programme, where they bounced onto the stage, uh, going, hello, everybody, and Simon Cowell's eyes were, were raised quite considerably as he thought, what? in God's name of them. And they sort of went out there, they represented Ireland for Eurovision twice, I think. And uh, luckily they didn't get anywhere. Although I thought one of the songs was quite good. I just thought they were a bit bit bizarre. There's the mother, released from death row by the judges, re-arrested trying to fly to America with her family. This is, um... This is Miriam Ibrahim. Uh, she faced the death penalty, if you remember, for refusing to become a Muslim. Her husband's Christian. She was shopped by her brother-in-law. Quite clearly a nasty little piece of work. And so yesterday, a group of 50 armed security personnel detained her, along with her husband and two children, at Sudan's Khartoum airport. Last night, fears were growing. They're being held by Sudan's notorious National Intelligence and Security Service, described by human rights groups Amnesty as agents of fear. I mean, she was freed by a court, and we all went, well, quite right. I mean, a death penalty for refusing to become a Muslim? Goodness sake, I mean, how stupid are they over there? Anyway, NIS, which is the National Intelligence and Security Service, uh, operates outside the confines of the court system if, if it cites national security. It's locked up people indefinitely, tortured prisoners. You know, I mean, you, you, you kind of worry for her safety and for that of her family. She's a qualified doctor, arrested in February, sentenced to hang for renouncing Islam. I mean, re- you wouldn't want to live in these places, would you? Just think yourself very lucky that you're over here where we're reasonably, reasonably tolerant of uh, most people. Anyway, she was forced to deliver the cupboard's second second child with her legs chained, and they were going to hang her. What sort of people are they? They're barbaric, that's what they are. The sentence sparked international outrage. David Cameron, Tony Blair amongst those calling for her release. She was raised as a Christian, but the authorities considered her to be a Muslim because her dad was, even though he left the family when she was six. They're not the brightest people, are they, over there? They're really not the brightest people. Uh, over here, uh, we have a picture of Her Majesty the Queen, looking amazing at the age of, I think, 86 now. Uh, she was with Prince Philip. He's still there. And, uh, and then some boy leaps in front of her in St George's Market and takes a selfie of him... <laughs> Him with the Queen behind. <laughs> so no doubt that'll be appearing in the papers tomorrow. This is the picture I took of me, and here behind me is the is the Queen. It's quite a good thing. I don't, the, the Queen looks slightly bemused. I don't think she's particularly aware of what selfies are. I don't think Her Majesty sits at home saying, I think we'll do a selfie today. 
Us, me, me and Philip could do a selfie. That'd be quite good. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Yes, there's lots of pieces in the paper today about Felix uh, Dexter. Uh, this is the... Uh, Felix Dennis, I do beg your pardon. He was the, uh, the man who was the multi-millionaire publisher. Famous for that Oz trial. Uh, my friend Jonathan said I had a, a night out with him uh, at his now-closed club, Miranda, a very high-class but dubious establishment who boasted the most expensive cash point in London, £50 transaction charge. Oh. Wow. He says, luckily, when I was there, Felix was paying for the drinks. How interesting. How interesting. I went to a bar once. I was introduced... I can't tell you uh, what it was called because I have no idea. But uh, I was introduced to this man, and they said years ago he was in the music scene in London. And he was, he was quite well-known... But he operated a club in London, which was Red Light. And he came in, and we interviewed him when I was doing Overnights, about 30, 35 years ago. And he said, oh, why don't you come down for a drink to the club? And I went, yeah, that'd be fine. I didn't know what sort of club it was until we walked in. And it was all red lights and lots of red damask and things and couches and everything else. And when we walked in, I went in with my producer, all these girls stood up and came towards us. And we said, oh, we're just waiting for certain... And immediately, we said who we were waiting for. They all melted back into the... Into the, into the couches again. <laughs> oh, dear. I think it was the Green Party, Steve, which complained that 200,000 people could be left stranded by cashless buses. Greens are a bit dim. Yes, it's about... They said it's a few, uh, a few thousand people who might be. But then, you know, I don't know how people lose their Oyster card. I see people getting on buses now. You'd be sitting there, and they start going through their handbag trying to find the Oyster card. And you think, you're standing at a bus stop. Why don't you find it now? Why don't you find it now? Save. It's like people in the supermarket, is it? They, they go through the supermarket, and then they start packing all this stuff up, and then they go, right, I'll look for my purse. Men are far more organised in supermarkets. Women, they've got these huge bags, which look like Mary Poppins' magic bag, where there's everything in there, including the plant, the biggest aspidistra in the world, and flowers and all the rest of it. And, you sort of so- and all they're looking for is their purse in there. And then they find the purse, and they think, you're not going to pay on blooming card. Oh, God, they're paying on card. So they put it in there. And the funny thing is, they always put their hand over when they tap, because you're supposed to, when you tap it. Well, you can see where their fingers have gone. I, I feel like saying to them afterwards, 7329, you know, 6184, <laughs> just to really get, get them going, well, how do you know that? I go, I've just seen. But as I say, it's of no interest to me whatsoever. I like to change my, my PIN number on a regular basis. I don't. I keep the same one, actually. Although at the moment my card's not operating in Lloyd's Bank. I don't know why. It says we couldn't read it. It operates everywhere else except Lloyd's. Probably just as well. Uh, Oysters can break and wear out. How? I've got mine in a wallet. In my jacket. How can it wear out or break? It doesn't come out at all. You don't need to take it out for doing anything. In fact, you can leave it either in your wallet. I've, I've got a little thing which has got my Oyster card and the other card, the other side, and it's probably got 20 quid in there as well, which means I can, I can use it for sort of topping up. It's never likely to break at all. Somebody says I've had two become faulty over eight years. Really? Blimey. I've never had anything like that. Absolutely nothing at all. Because I don't take them out. They just stay in the wallet. So you go into the bus, you hold it up against the thing. How's it ever going to break? Only dumb people who don't have a little wallet. The wallets, you can, you can get them, actually, when you buy the car. They give you a little plastic wallet. You never need to take it out. God, dear, honestly. I need to educate people at this time of the morning. It's making me very stressed. 
Plenty more to come on your midweek early morning breakfast show with Steve Allen until 6.30. It's Wednesday. Tom Swarbrick will be here with the morning news. The Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh will make an appearance at the Antiques Roadshow later to have some of their own valuables examined. It'll be awful if they're fake, won't it? It'll be absolutely awful. The show's being filmed at Hillsborough Castle, which is apparently Her Majesty's residence in Northern Ireland. Is it? Lord above. An auction's underway. Frank Sinatra's first ever driving licence. The yellow text-only 1934 document carries his signature. Doctor Who's final goodbye to companion Rose voted the greatest scene of science fiction. And Glastonbury throws open the gates and the heavens open. They're going to get drowned, ladies and gentlemen. All that and more. From LBC, I'm Steve Allen. It's next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. A bit colder this morning than it was yesterday. Yesterday was... uh, was a bit of a warm day, and it was quite nice, so I sort of had a little drive out, which was good. I like the idea that the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh will be making appearance at the Antiques Roadshow later. Somebody very unkindly said, you think they'll be valuing Prince Philip? And, uh, that was the producer. And, uh, very wisely going on holiday very shortly. I like the idea of the auction underway of Frank Sinatra's first ever driver's licence. I don't know what you do with it, it's just got his signature, and it's a 1934 document. Uh, and that's, but it was owned by Frank Sinatra, so I suppose that's it. Oh, and Glastonbury throws open its gates into the mud. All of that and more on LBC this morning. They've got Kasabian, Arcade Fire, Black Keys, providing something of a, of a rock theme this year, and then Dolly Parton providing the other side of it. I think she'll do very well. I, th- I think the majority of people are going down there to see Dolly Parton. I don't believe they're going to see Kasabian at all. What was that group the other day who were the most downloaded because they're changing the way the... Charts go. Who is it? Bastille. Yeah. I think I downloaded that as well. <laughs> I thought it was a particularly good record. And yet, strangely enough, it didn't even make number one in the charts. Uh, Tom Swarbrick's here at 6.30 this morning with the morning news. We take all your texts and emails, which is 84850steve at lbc.co.uk. The papers are full of phone hacking, and no doubt everybody else this morning... We'll be talking about that. Nick Ferrari will certainly be talking about it, uh, how it's changed... Uh, journalism for the worst, and uh, they'll be talking to John Mayer, journalist and editor of the book After Leveson, The Future for British Journalism. It's changed dramatically, journalism, over the years. It really has, from the from the early days when we were in Fleet Street and from the days of The Sun and The Express and The News of the World down in Bouverie Street, The Express with that fantastic Art Deco building on the left-hand side. I don't even know what it's used for now. And everybody was there, and over a weekend, on the Sunday, I used to go into the studio and there would be all the lorries delivering the, delivering the huge rolls of paper. These enormous, like, sort of giant loo rolls, which they were printing on. And then, of course, there was the big debacle after the Sun moved to Wapping, and they did it, and, and the printers, I don't think, had the faintest idea what was going on. It was all cloak and dagger. They were building the place, it was all installed, all electronic, bang, printers out. Simple as that. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Michael Dennis, the black cab poet, says, I was sad to hear about the death of Felix Dennis. I liked his poetry. I wondered whether we were distantly related. There's a coincidence between us. My grandfather, great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather were all called Felix Dennis. Oh. I mean, I suppose there could be, you know, in some distant, far offshore a link, couldn't there? I think. 
84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. The most uh, common way people break Oyster cards is by applying too much pressure when touching in and bend the cards. They eventually crack. Really? You just... I don't understand how they do that. I've got my cards in my wallet, in this special little wallet. I've got the, both of them in there, and I just touch it up against the thing, and it, it goes bleep, bleep, bleep. In fact, the only time it didn't, I, I looked at it, tried it again, it didn't work, so I showed it to the, the guy, and it's got my photo on it, so that was, uh, that was fair enough. Seemed to work. Uh, yesterday, I had a lady get on my bus with five different Oyster cards and a queue of passengers a mile long after holding everyone up. They were all empty. Yes, I suppose people... I mean, I've seen people take them out and they turn them round, turn them sideways, blow on them, put them back in, and it still doesn't work. And you go, there's no credit on there. Sometimes the bus drivers let them get on. And sometimes they don't. They sort of stand there and go, no, you'll have to, you have to get off. You'll have to get off the bus. And so they do. I always smile at that one, actually. Um, I don't see how these cashless buses will work. How will I be able to help people like that hysterical schoolgirl I met recently on her way to a, a GCSE and her oyster stopped working? Well, if she's a schoolgirl, it doesn't make any difference. She's allowed on the bus for free. They don't pay for it. I gave her cash for the bus fare. They don't pay school children. They don't pay. They're, you must be an idiot, <laughs> you know, to actually pay for a school child. They go, beep, 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 beep. That's a school child. They don't. It doesn't make any difference. Uh, Iceman has uh, thought about the club that I went to. I'm not going to mention it because it might not have been the club. I don't think it was, actually. It was down... It was in a muse. That's all I remember. That's all I remember. Upstairs. Dorman Dom says, yes, it is cool outside this morning. Yes, it, it is. It's noticeably cooler. Noticeably cooler. Other stories inside. This is Jaws 3. And this is Luis Suarez again. Third time, I think, now, a habit of biting players. Perhaps he's obsessed by it. Perhaps there's something the matter. Perhaps he's got some kink going on. I don't know. And uh, how England's early World Cup exit could cost the country £1.3 billion. Although, actually, as we saw all the pictures the other day of Abby Clancy prancing around like the ninny that she is, you know, they couldn't care less. They really couldn't care less. I see that um, George Clooney's uh, wife-to-be... Still can't get my head around that one at all. Uh, and her mother were out on the town the other day. Strangely, her mother wearing all green, looking more like a hospital orderly. She looks like she's about to take people in and push them in on the, on the trolley. Uh, the English test scam is in the papers. This one came up yesterday, which is fascinating. 48,000, 48,000 bogus students have beaten the border checks. They reckon that 29,000 people, they can't speak English at all, they've been fiddled by the, by the colleges. Fiddled by the colleges. The same colleges, probably, who fiddled the, uh, the loans for people who have no intention of paying them back, no matter what the agencies tell you. Oh, don't worry, we're going to pursue these people. We won't get it back. We're down God knows how many millions now. It's just ridiculous. And so now you've got 48,000 bogus students out there. 100,000 foreign students go missing every year. Yep, I think you probably find them in every coffee shop in London. That's where they are. Because it's so big, this country, you can't find people. You really can't. People just disappear into the distance, don't they? They just vanish and they work there or they go and work in garages. Mainly coffee shops, though. Mainly coffee shops and working in restaurants. So, uh, eventually, they will get caught. Sarah Vine writes uh, this morning, (laughs) which I did yesterday. I'm convinced she's listening to this programme. About uh, Sting. She says, uh, great news. None of his six children will inherit a penny. He doesn't want his wealth to be an albatross around their necks. They have to work, he says. All my kids know that, and they rarely ask me for anything which I really respect and appreciate. You tight so-and-so. You imagine, Dad, don't ask him, he won't give it to you. 
Can we have a... No, he won't give it to you. So he's giving his money to somebody else. If only, writes Sarah Vine, Bernie Eccleston felt the same about his daughter Tamara, pictured standing on a beach again with a photographer. She'd be busy working for a living like everybody else instead of posing for the paparazzi on yet another luxury jaunt. I know, I agree with you, Sarah Vine. Absolutely wholeheartedly. A boring waste of space, I'm afraid. Luckily, you just have to put up with her. Eventually, she'll become old and crumbly and, you know, and her boobs will be sagging around her knees. But nobody cares that she's living in, what, a £60 million house? What does she do? Nothing. Nothing. Drags around that handbag of a husband and, uh, and a photographer and they just, you know, take pictures and we all go, oh, how boring. On Saturday... She says, I accompanied my nine-year-old son to a football party in Hyde Park. His team had won various trophies, and they were having a picnic to celebrate. I'm not much of a tiger mum, more of the moggy variety, she says. Nevertheless, I was feeling rather excited about his success in this mysterious arena. A fact, she she says, that uh, it became clear as we approached the meeting point he was acutely aware of. Now, mummy, he said in his best serious boy voice... You're very welcome to talk to the coaches and other parents, but you must promise not to embarrass me. I know that's going to be very hard, but I want you to try. Because that is the thing, isn't it? You go out, and the one thing I used to hate, you'd be out shopping with your mum on a Saturday, and your school friends would be out with their mates, and they'd see you with your mum, and you'd have to try and hide in shop doorways, because you didn't want to be known as being a mummy's boy. Somebody went out shopping. And if your mummy sort of, you know, tried to take over of all these, you know, different things. So they come out to a sports day. My mother used to turn... The worst one for me, the school used to send a letter out to all the parents going, uh, the school doctor's going to be in today and uh, your son uh, or daughter will be having this sort of checkup. Would you like to come to... My mother always came! My mother was the only mother out of the entire school. they go, oh, your mother's here, Stephen. Oh, God. You'd have to stand there in your vest and pants in front of the nurse with your mother sitting there. 27, I was. 27. I don't know. Strange family. Now, isn't that odd? Out of all the things that she came on, that was the one she wanted to come to, the doctor's thing. Oh, dear, I don't know. So I can understand how children now worry about mums coming and embarrassing them. It's like Lydia, Lydia Dim's mother turning up to anything. She's fairly embarrassing, just appearing on the programme. She's obviously some sort of, uh, some sort of person who is, uh, is sort of thriving on these sort of things. Uh, 84850, Steve at LBC. Uh, just reading the Daily Mirror online whilst listening to your dulcet tones, says Jan from South Norwood. And uh, interesting that two articles mention LBC interviews. Of course, the Ronnie Corbett one was mine. It was an exclusive for me. Um, I was at a, a two-day craft fair last week. The first person who came to the stall said, oh, yes, Jangles, I've heard Steve Allen mention you this morning. So there you go, you see. Even, even, even Tom Swarbrick said to me yesterday, he said, I, I meet more and more people, he said, who, who listen to your programme. I said, well, the wife listens for a start. That uh, she is expecting. Hope to God they don't ask me to be godfather. I don't like things like that. I know they always... I have to turn people down. I have to turn Adrian down. Loads of other people. But, you know, would that be good? No, no. They're only doing it because they know they're going to get good presents and stuff like that and a voucher for John Lewis. But uh, it's not happening. 14 minutes past five. Nick Ferrari and the team at seven on the morning of the State of London debate. Nick will be talking to the London Mayor Boris Johnson about what he makes over the phone hacking verdict. Plus, how has Leveson helped change the press and should we ban the smoking of e-cigarettes in public? Chris Blackhurst is looking at the papers for Nick Ferrari today. Group content director for The Independent, The Eye, The Evening Standard and London Live TV. And no doubt he will find the same stories that we have found on the programme this morning. Also, the, although the other one, actually, there is air gridlock across Europe at the moment, all due to uh, 
a strike in France. Hundreds of services to and from the UK were axed. Hundreds more delayed by up to six hours at the start of a six-day walkout by militant air traffic controllers. It's just a nightmare, isn't it? If you trek all the way... I mean, I've always said before, if ever you're going up to the airport, go and check and make sure that your flight is actually taking off or landing, because otherwise you'll be sitting up there for hours and hours and hours. Um, lots of people... I mean, Ryanair cancelled 200 flights. They're going to axe another 250 today. That could be one of yours. Check before you go. EasyJet have grounded more than 100 services. British Airways wiped out around 24, and they've already axed another 28 flights tomorrow. Passengers with Monarch and Flybe were also badly affected. So check before... You might not even be aware of that. I wasn't aware till I read it in the newspapers. So uh, uh, airlines said they're emailing on texting passengers to rebook or offer a refund. Lots of people have turned up. Some man turned up in Barcelona, flight was axed. Managed to finally get to Gatwick, only to discover the flight from here was axed. So he's lost hundreds of pounds. Not a happy bunny. Um, forget passwords, because you're like me, I should imagine. Every time you go onto a website, they want a password. You know, are you the right person? Can you put it on here? Now they're saying, remember faces. So if you're bad with numbers, and most people are... Uh, but you never forget a face. Your life could be about to get a bit easier. Scientists are planning to replace fiddly passwords and pins with an access code based on pictures. You see, I'd like that as well. I don't... I mean, putting in pins, there must be an easier way, because people can... But, I mean, I've seen people go, is it 1739? And they put it down. Uh, and, and people behind them go, 1739. OK, you got that one? Whereas if it just relied on your face... Then that would be easier, like doing a fingerprint, I suppose. Perhaps you could do, you can do fingerprints, can't you? So scientists from Glasgow and York University asked volunteers to name Z-list celebrities who they knew well, but most people wouldn't. The team then made up panels of nine pictures, each showing one celebrity face and eight strangers, and then people were asked to uh, to identify them, and they did. So that's why faces could be the way forward. I think it's good. Um, whilst you were reading out the lines of failure, says Paul on the X Factor, you omitted Goldie Chung. Uh, Goldie, a very energetic singer-dancer, sang Copper Bell and draped herself over Barlow. He didn't like it, but the crowd screamed for more. She's worth a mention as she has uh, a, a niche following. Is that neat following? <laughs> Nobody. And is Britain's Tai Chi female champion. I don't remember her. I do remember various people have draped themselves over Gary Barlow before which they probably like, but I just like watching Gary Barlow's face when they do it. I seem to... Oh, that's right. I seem to remember... I vaguely, in the back of my mind... In the back of my mind, I'm seeing this person draping themselves over Gary Barlow. Didn't he actually, um, didn't he run away from one of them? A couple of, a couple of little bit scary, I think. Uh, the Queen does know what a selfie is, but she calls it a onesie, says Paul. Yes, I suppose she could, she could do, I suppose. There would, there would be that. 84850, Steve, at lbc.co.uk. I like the idea that you can remember faces opposed to pin numbers. I mean, I am reasonably good. Once I'm on the site... I've got a couple of sites I go to, and obviously my AOL account, and I've got uh, various passwords on that. And I've, I've remembered most... I've had to write a lot down. I've had to write a lot down. <laughs> uh, did you know Sarah Vine is married to Michael Gove, says Joanna? Yes, I did. That's why I know where they were over the weekend. Uh, Joey says the contactless debit and credit cards can now be used on the buses in addition to Oyster. You can also still buy and use travel cards. You know what they're axing, though? They're acting, uh, axing travellers' checks. I don't think anybody uses travellers' checks anymore. Does anybody seriously go on holiday? Uh, no, most people. If, you're go if I'm going to America, I'll hunt around and I've got some dollars at home. I might have, 
$100, which is enough to get you there. And then you can just, I just put my card into a machine and it gives me dollars out there. As long as you tell the bank before you go that you're going on holiday, otherwise they see strange action taking place in another country and they immediately start alarm bells ringing. Don't ever go to Brussels without taking money with you because you'll be hard pushed to find bank machines. We really struggled. Eventually we found a bank machine. That was what you do if it's like a, like a little ray, a little beacon it is out there. It's good. Uh, Steve, you'd be amazed how many people can't figure out how to properly use Oyster. Really? Good Lord. Uh, I didn't think that at all. I thought, I thought they were so simple. I really thought they were so simple. Um, more on, uh, on Miriam. This is the, uh, the Sudanese mother, sentenced to hang... Uh, and then she was freed, I think because there was such an international outcry. And now she's, uh, she's been stopped at Khartoum Airport and whisked away by a secret service. Uh, she was trying to flee to go to America. Her husband's American and she wants to go over there. Quite clearly other people have got other ideas. They're not, uh, they're not particularly good on their human rights over there. Not particularly good. I did hear Ollie Mann playing earlier on, talking of things that really annoy you. People phoning up the police and time-wasting. People who call 999. My Chinese has not turned up. You know, can you find out why it's late? Or people who are just either drunk and they're wasting time. They're very patient, the operators. Very patient. Because they have to sit there, just in case it's genuine. Somebody's going to say, I'm just about to throw myself off a building. But they have to go a roundabout way. We played one this morning of a woman who'd phoned up and she'd seen what she thought was a scorpion on the ground. Well, we know that they're over Essex railway stations because they came in and some of the railway stations got lots of scorpions. And she said it was a bit like an Egyptian. And the, the operator is thinking, this is a 999 service, but I don't know, she might be cracked. There might be one or two screws loose. And eventually she might get round to what it is. And so they're, they're very patient until you suddenly realise that they're just going down a silly road. The amount of people who call 999 for the most ludicrous reasons. The lift is broken in my block of flats. Can somebody help me get up the stairs? No. Go, go get your friends or your neighbours. And online abuse, believe it or not, is behind the majority of complaints to police about antisocial behaviour and harassment. And so here was a programme on the television last night. I think it's an award-winning uh, programme called Coppers. And it's the same as all the other police programmes. They go out with the police force, and I think this is around the Nottingham area. My God, you don't want to live around the Nottingham area. Oh, absolutely awful. And uh, they get called out. There's a fight outside a house on a street... Um, and it's, a, to put it politely, it's a bunch of, of low-rent people who are having a party for a 14-year-old girl who looks 30. Seriously, I've never seen such a bloated 14-year-old, and she is drunk beyond belief at 14 years old. The mother uses every piece of filth language to the police. There's quite clearly people who don't like the police, and yet expect them to go out there and sort out their domestics. It was two families who were arguing over something. Oh, I'd have just left them. I would just left them, hose them all down with disinfectant later, and just leave them there. At one point, the 14-year-old girl is so drunk, she's shouting obscenities at the police, who are trying to break up a fight. So they wrestle her to the ground, and she starts screaming the odds. Then there's another... It's all full of drunks. And as the police say, sometimes they fear for their lives. And they, they try and... Exp somebody asked them in this, the course of this programme, so what do you think is the, this, the cause behind all of these issues? Alcohol, they said. Alcohol. At one point, there was a group of Asian men who were threatening to take the law into their own hands because some Romas had moved into their street and they were going, we want our street back, like it was their street to take back. And so they were arguing with the police. Then there were a group of, uh, of young men who were arguing with the police over something else. And uh, they've obviously got issues, these people. Yet they would be the first ones to be sort of screaming the odds when they get mugged. Talking of mugging, there was a story in The Standard last night about uh, a gay couple 
who are now afraid to walk around East London. Walter Adrian and his boyfriend uh, were attacked outside Barclays Bank on Whitechapel Road after leaving a friend's party. They weren't holding hands or anything like that. They were just out and they went to the cash point. As they withdrew cash, seven Bangladeshi teenagers on pushbikes surrounded them, asking, are you fags? Which seems a little bit peculiar, but perhaps they're of limited intelligence. They then punched and kicked the couple. He said we weren't doing anything. All the comments were based on us being gay. Uh, my partner tried to punch one of them and then they got very physical and they cycled. They were aged between about 15 and 18. Police are now investigating. Uh, Mr Adrian's partner is a master's media student at Goldsmith University. He said, we're just scared of going out. One was wearing an oversized yellow T-shirt. They'll be caught on CCTV and they'll be arrested, hopefully. I mean, I, did, I thought things like this went out in the, in the 70s. I didn't realise that there were still people of limited intelligence who actually call people fags anymore. Perhaps they're worried about their own sexuality. Perhaps, a couple of, perhaps the one with the bright yellow T-shirt might have been one of those sort of people that they start attacking. Peter says, on the subject of oyster cards, if you watch loads of people take their oysters out of the protective wallet and then they do a one-eighth turn on the reader. I'm sure that makes them more vulnerable to damage. Cashless is the way to go, but if TfL is abolishing those small paper tickets you could buy for occasional use, that'll make it more difficult to help people. Well, tell them to go and get an Oyster card. And also, I don't understand why somebody takes it out of a protective wallet. You could have it in actually a wallet and just hold the wallet up against it. Sensible, normal people, Peter, seem to manage it. I don't know why anybody else can't manage it nowadays. Uh, where I live in south-east London, all the coffee shops are staffed by foreign people. Well, you mean people not of this country? As many of our own people would rather live on benefits. Well, you can't get them to work nowadays, can you? It'd be quite nice to see uh, Josie Cunningham actually getting a, a job and actually doing a day's work as opposed to going out and being a pathetic waste of space. She's now suing, as you'll discover in the paper today. She's asked the police to intervene because somebody wrote something horrible about her. The fact that she's horrible as well is neither here nor there, but she wants to. Uh, she wants some compensation from Catherine Tilsley and she wants her suspended, as if that's going to happen, by Coronation Street. Uh, motorists think it's OK to text at the wheel. Um, I've texted at the wheel. Not actually physically texted, because there is a little button on the phone. And it's a little microphone. And you push it and you dictate it as you're going along. You just go, hi, I'll be with you in ten minutes. And then you push the button and it says, hi, with you for tea. And, because um, it never can't, gets it right. And no, it's seriously, it, it works every time. I've never had any problems with, with uh, voice texting. And then it just sends it on to somebody. Brilliant, isn't it? 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Well, you've only 26 minutes to uh, six this morning. I've noticed uh, a simple pill could keep you fit into old age. A good pair of walking shoes would do that. And if you want to fight off Alzheimer's, they've now told you a cup of cocoa a day. Does anybody drink cocoa anymore? I know people have chocolate milkshakes and people have mocha and all sorts of strange concoctions in all the coffee shops, but a cup of cocoa. Used to be the uh, the stalwart, didn't it? Before you climbed into bed, you know, you'd be going to bed and then you'd go, oh, cup of cocoa, oh, lovely. Used to love that. Born Vita was my favourite. Uh, Dave says Monic didn't cancel any flights, though. Uh, they have now. They got us home, albeit late, due to the French strikes. And Whittacombe talking about um, there is just no pleasing the British public sometimes, at least not when it comes to the millions who spend their days twittering and tweeting. And the Duchess of Cambridge left little George behind with his grandparents while she and William went away for a break. She provoked a storm of criticism. Now Colleen Rooney is being lambasted because she took her two children to Brazil, where hubby was playing in the World Cup. Mums just can't win. Shouldn't they be at school? 
I mean, I don't know what, what age is a compulsory now, but of course, Colleen Rooney, who doesn't actually do anything, she just sort of jumps from one, one holiday into another holiday, and uh, I think they're off on a three-week one, a three-week holiday at the moment, which is always very interesting. In the, uh, the day and night, Jennifer Aniston and her fiancé, Justin Threw, have silenced rumours of a split with their first appearance together on a red carpet. So that's good news, isn't it? Because you worry about that. I worry about things like that. And Noddy Holder who is not with Slade anymore, even though he was the distinctive voice, uh, must be thinking all his Christmases have come at once after being handed the freedom of his hometown of Walsall. Believe it or not, Noddy Holder is 68 now. He was uh, awarded the honour at the West Midlands Town Council headquarters after officials voted to reward him for his musical achievements. He's 68! His musical achievements were about 40 years ago. It's a great honour. He said, I can't do the accent, I won't even attempt to do it. It just insults people, I'm afraid. He says, I only wish my mum and dad were alive to be there. They both loved and lived in Walsall all their lives. And he started singing at the Walsall Labour Working Men's Club at the tender age of seven. He said to wait till 68 before they finally gave him an award. Bless his heart. <laughs> but they don't, they don't tour as Slade anymore. There is a group called Slade, but it's not the... Um, it's not the one with Noddy Holder in, because I think he does a radio programme. I think he does a radio. Probably very good at it, too. Probably one of those gold-type programmes. Um, the real reason people take out the Oyster card is because they, they have a contact, contactless credit card, or have two Oyster cards, they'll all be deducted at the machine at the same time. No, they won't. No, they won't, David. No, not in the slightest. I've got two cards in my wallet. It doesn't affect it in the slightest. You've actually got to place it on the machine. Just being in close proximity doesn't work. It's got to be placed on the machine. Amanda says, uh, why is it that some people with Oyster cards get on a bus but don't have enough money on it or stand at the bus stop for ages? Then when the bus arrives, start looking in every pocket of the bag looking for it. Thus holding up the queue even longer. Oh, I've waited for ages before now. And then eventually, you know, the bus drivers thought, oh, ridiculous, well, I'd be stuck here for another year. And so he sort of starts off and the person puts the bag down and then they start sorting through it. Why don't the people just keep it on them? Keep it in a top pocket. You know you're going to be getting on the bus. You know that you're going to, you know, there's going to be a bus coming along, you know, <laughs> soon. Why not have the card out? Uh, Tony says, if you have a contactless bank card with the Oyster card, the reader can take money off your bank card, so make sure they're separated. Well, exactly. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just common sense. It sounds like we're having to talk to idiots this morning on people who've got no idea how to sort of use an Oyster card. Good Lord in heaven. I mean, what a mamby-pamby society we are. Oh, don't know how to use an Oyster card. It's terrible. And Joey says, there are a few every day who I watch struggle to using oysters. Sometimes I offer helpful suggestions, other times I just watch. Yes, I, I would actually be the one who would just stand there and watch, I'm afraid. Uh, the hottest year ever, but not in Glastonbury, as Glastonbury opens its doors to the good, the great, and the people in their little wellies. They're all going to be turning up there, they want to see Kasabian, they want to see all the groups, they want to have a, a fantastic time. But uh, what they've omitted to tell them is that the heavens are going to open. The heavens are going to open and everybody at Glastonbury is going to get soaking wet. That's why they all turn up with their Wellingtons. Because they know it's going to be wet. And it doesn't matter because at some point you're going to get so filthy dirty. Why you would want to sit in a field with a load of other people getting very, very wet? I have no idea. It's obviously a pilgrimage for many people. It's obviously some sort of a crusade. Not for me. It never was, actually. I was never a person. Ollie Mann, a few, few days ago, was talking about... Uh, people going to festivals. He's obviously, in his time, been to festivals. I don't... I don't do festivals. I can't see the appeal of it, really. Perhaps it's people who are a bit, little bit bohemian. 
they like going out for these sort of things. They go, you know, sitting in a field with a load of other people, toasting marshmallows around a little camp. Although you can't have campfires, can you? They don't allow you to, to do that, and they've got the usual naff. Perhaps people expect very little. Perhaps people expect very little at festivals now. It was all different in my day. It was Woodstock. Woodstock was, was the great festival and the, the Hell's Angel. You look, look back on YouTube at some of the at some of the uh, the pictures of Woodstock, there's no resemblance to any of the things today. The only thing that I thought at the end of Woodstock was the rubbish. The rubbish, the millions of tonnes of rubbish that people created. I suppose over here, I suppose at Glastonbury it will be the same, but I wonder what you're allowed to take into Glastonbury. Are you allowed to take in all the things that I think you are? The answer is probably not. I think you have to buy their water. That's how they make money. If the UK put quotas on the amount of alcohol people can drink, you'll have a harder time finding stories says uh, Jose. I don't think so, actually. They're not all drunks who feature in the, uh, in the newspaper. In fact, hardly any of them are drunks at all. But I think that, you know, if you, if you go out there with the police, then there are lots of incidents which are fuelled by alcohol. But that, that's down to the pub landlords, isn't it? That's down to the people there saying, I'm not serving you any more drink, you're drunk. And you wonder where all the drunks get their booze from. They go to the corner shops. The corner shops will serve them alcohol. But if there was, if there was more strict controls on people buying alcohol. You know, if somebody comes in and you know they're an alcoholic, you don't sell serve them alcohol. And if anybody's caught serving them alcohol, a £1,000 fine. They'll soon stop. You know, we managed to stop people, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes in, in public places. We've managed to get that stopped. Why, why we can't stop alcohol, I don't know. There must be some sort of way of, uh, of getting, getting round it. Lenny Henry is in all the papers today. It's not, a, it's not a particularly new story. I've heard other people say this as well. We want more ethnic minority stars on the screen. And he's absolutely right. I mean, this, this amount of money that the BBC are putting into to programmes, it's only three episodes of Luther in terms of on-air spend. It's, not, uh, it's, it's a lot of money, but you're not going to get very much back from it. And the truth of the matter is, they just don't do things like that. I don't know what the percentage of young black or ethnic minority, minority people going to stage schools is. I have no idea. It's not 50-50. Is it 40-30? This, this goes back the other day to the... The BBC Trust saying that EastEnders needs to reflect the East End of London. It's far more mixed, it's far more multicultural than is being represented on the screen. I said, well, it's just physically impossible to represent anything on the screen. Of course it's not like the East End, because otherwise you'd have a Starbucks and a Costa and an Eat and a Pret-a-Manger, and you'd have uh, a few pubs turned into bistro pubs. You wouldn't have a pub like the, uh, like the Queen Vic surviving in the East End nowadays. You drive through the East End, so many pubs are closed. Because there's such a, a, a predominantly Muslim uh, population, they're not going to be going to pubs anytime soon. And that's why it's, it, you cannot make EastEnders reflect in the same way that Emmerdale, I shouldn't imagine, is representative of the people who live in the Dales. Where are the Polish people? Polish people have been wiped off the face of the earth. In the East End, there's loads of Polish people. They don't feature in EastEnders, do they? Unless I've missed it somewhere. I don't see them in Emmerdale. A friend of mine said he went down to South End the other day. He said loads of Polish people in South End. So that's in Essex. Why is that not represented? It's not represented at all, is it? There's no Chinese people in EastEnders. But you cannot literally start running a programme just based on who lives in the East End. Because otherwise you'd have, you'd have a, a Jewish fashion shop there. You'd have the people selling all the, uh, all the stuff for all the markets. That's what's in the East End at the moment. You'd have a few villains. I mean, yeah, we've got a few villains in the in the television series, but it's not representative, is it? You'd have a few sort of dodgy places. You'd have people ripping people off. You know, you'd actually see somebody cooking something in the cafe as opposed to not seeing anybody cooking anything at all. The fish and chip shop featured. Where's the Chinese takeaway? 
Where is the kebab shop? They can't build all of this stuff, so they do a slice. You take a knife, you put it down the middle, and you go, and that's exactly what uh, what it looks like in the East End. Give or take. Give or take a few things. It's not going to be entirely accurate, but it's, um, it's, it's going to be as near as damn it, without sort of going down the line of, you know, should we have more... Actually, somebody pointed out the other day, I couldn't remember whether or not there were gay characters in Emmerdale, and somebody very kindly wrote in and said, yes, there were. There was the one who died, if you remember, and then the other one who took his own life as well. And I'd forgotten about them, how quickly one forgets uh, characters who've had main storylines for ages and ages and ages. Uh, but as far as I know, there's no... I don't, I'm not even sure. Are there any gay... There are gay characters in Coronation Street, as far as I know. But there's no Chinese takeaway. There would be a Chinese takeaway, would there not, in Coronation Street? Manchester's just full of Chinese takeaways. Or Asian restaurants. Why are there none of these things there? You get more in old old sitcoms than you do there. 84850, Steve at the LBC. Steve at the LBC. Steve at lbc.co.uk. Did you know Emma Bunton was determined the Spice Girls would be the success they duly became. She once walked into the offices of Smash Hits magazine and demanded that the editor put the then-unknown band on the cover. The rest, as they say, is history. Although Kevin the Warburton's driver says, Steve, you're surely not old enough at 39 to remember Woodstock. Oh, well, I mean, only remember Woodstock because I've seen it on YouTube. I certainly would have remembered it any any other way. Uh, 84850. Stephen says, if you press the microphone button on your phone whilst behind the wheel, you get three points if caught by the police because you're still using the phone. Yes, but there again, you might as well stop every single car on the road because technically you're supposed to have two hands on the wheel. I see people smoking, people with their hands out there, people with their hands on the roof. All of these things warrant, you know, the police stopping you. But to be honest with you, the police don't bother half the time. Otherwise, they'd spend all of their time at the roadside writing out tickets. And I'm sure they've got much better things to do than that. Quarter to six. Morning, everybody. 11 minutes to six. I'm now looking out at brilliant sunshine. So we came in this morning and it was all freezing cold. And now we've got brilliant sunshine. I must have a quick check on the uh, weather for you today. Because I know when you wake up, you like to know exactly what the day ahead is going to be. Dry with sunny spells. Oh, there's a bit of disappointment. Uh, best of brightness in the east. Feeling pleasant. Uh, less warm, though, than recent days. Down to 20 degrees. At the moment, you'll notice it. It's about 12 degrees. It's risen a little bit. I think it's about 6 degrees earlier on. There's a gentle northeasterly wind inland, breezier along the coast. Tonight, dry with variable clouds. Some good clear periods. Winds remaining light inland. Tomorrow, fine, predominantly dry. Bright or sunny spells becoming cloudier in the afternoon with showers moving in. And Friday, cloudier with some showery rain at times, locally heavy with thunder. God, have no thunder for ages. Saturday, some bright spells, outbreaks of heavy showers, possibly thundery. And Sunday is sunny spells and showers. So that's the way it looks at the moment. Uh, Bob Crow died sitting on a six-figure fortune, they say. The transport workers' leader, who I think um, earned about £135,000 a year, left... He lived in a council house. He left £106,000 to his partner, Nicola Horo, mother of three of his children. Never actually got married. Uh, ex-wife Geraldine and daughter Kerry miss out on a share of the estate. Uh, they say here it approached 325000 before his outstanding affairs were settled following his March heart attack at the age of just 52. Lawyers yesterday said the nest egg was likely to be in the form of savings and investments and would exclude... The £135,000 uh, a year union uh, baron's pension pot. The self-styled communist socialist was repeatedly criticised for having a North London 
uh, home whilst raking in a colossal salary, which he insisted he was born in one and would die in one. He was also defiant about his champagne socialist lifestyle. So that's what he left. And uh, the wife gets nothing. Not particularly brilliant, is it? But there again, not everything he did was brilliant, but at least he made an impact. You know, I mean, can anybody tell you who's, who's sort of shouting the odds at the RMT now? Nope. Didn't think you could. Not many people can, I'm afraid. They don't. Uh, they don't seem to worry about things like that nowadays. Uh, eight four eight five zero. Steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, I've refused a contactless bank card now after a number of times. Oyster readers have taken money out of my account without me holding the card up to the reader. Oh, well, there you go. I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't have a contact contactless card. Uh, Peter says, uh, Luis Suarez. Mm, looks a bit like the late, great Freddie Mercury. Yeah, even I don't think Freddie Mercury was sort of doing his vampire, uh, bit, which he is, uh, doing at the moment. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. So, um... David Beckham goes out because he's moved into Notting Hill. So he was pictured out in the park the other day. Then he turns up in a pub, sitting there with a pint of Guinness. Uh, Tom Cruise uh, goes for a, a bottle of red wine. How wise. Much, much better for you, I suppose, than the Guinness. I suppose Guinness could be, uh, could be seen as being good for you. Plus, they had uh, water. A punter who snapped them said, I couldn't believe it. What, that David Beckham actually sits down? What conversations he has with Tom Cruise, I cannot imagine. I'm assuming Tom Cruise does most of the talking. David sits there and goes... Right. And that's about it. <laughs> so, uh, the name of uh, Beckham's son, Cruz, was even inspired by the Hollywood legend Tom, uh, famously a devout Scientologist, but Bex insists the actor has never tried to convert him and his wife, Victoria, to the religion. He said of their friendship, it's never been about that. Yes, I mean, when they say friendship, do you think it really is friendship, or it's just every so often he'll go because he wants to hang around with somebody who's probably equally as famous around the world as he is? They're probably equally as famous as, as each other, although I suspect Tom Cruise has got a slightly bigger bank account than David Beckham, and Tom Cruise has never had to resort to posing in his, uh, in his scanties to actually get, uh, get money. Uh, George Clooney in all the papers today, they're touring a, an... Italian hotel, I assume, to find somewhere to hold the wedding reception. I can't believe they're actually going to get married. I, I find it really bizarre, really bizarre. Mind you, on the other hand, the, uh, the bizarre story in the paper is the worried parents hitting out after it emerged girls as young as seven are being given pole dancing lessons. Now, as I said earlier on, I can understand it if it's an exercise class. We used to have, we, don't, we didn't have poles, we had ropes out in the gym. But uh, a national parenting organisation called for the classes to be axed immediately, saying they could leave kids uh, vulnerable to exploitation. Netbum's founder, Siobhan Freegard, says pole dancing can be a brilliant and fun way for an adult to keep fit. Mm. I think <laughs> it's just the fact it's called pole dancing. If you called it anything but pole dancing, I might agree with you, but unfortunately, I don't. Uh, young children don't understand the sexual overtones of the moves, and copying them could leave them very vulnerable to exploitation. I mean, I understand that it's done for fitness, but it is, it's tacky, isn't it? Can't, um, can't they do other things? Most are sort of gripping their thighs around a pole, especially at the age of seven. I mean, I know we have to keep children fit, but just at seven they've got boundless energy. I'm not sure they want to climb up poles, do they? I don't think so. Uh, the World War I heroes had the same names as the sitcom, and this is uh, Blackadder. Turns out the names of Captain Blackadder, Lieutenant George Private Baldrick, and Captain Darling had already gone down in history by pure coincidence. Soldiers with those names and ranks had served for real in World War I. So uh, there is uh, a Lieutenant George... And uh, you've got one here, the TV character, I think played by Hugh Laurie. 
Uh, the TV character was Edmund Blackadder, Blackadder, played by Rowan Atkinson. There is a real Captain Robert John Blackadder. <laughs> Funny. I mean, whether or not, I don't know where they got the names from. We should have asked, I suppose, at the time, shouldn't we? Um, one here, Tim McKinnery, who plays Captain Kevin Darling. There is a real soldier, Captain John Clive Darling. Again, great characters. And uh, Private S. Baldrick, played by Sir Tony Robinson. Uh, the real soldier was Private James Baldrick, born in 1892. So they did actually exist. The Blackadder characters did actually exist. And they, and they did go to war. And I suppose, I mean, I, I don't know. They might have gone through the history books or the graveyards to find out if these people exist. Be easy to put in a name. It's the most unusual name to come up with. Blackadder, isn't it? Very unusual. Poor old Gemma Collins, oh dear, lurching from one disaster to another. And uh, she was driving a Lamborghini. I'm amazed she was able to get in it, to be honest with you. They're, they're, they're designed for little people. And uh, she drove into a wall whilst filming, then claimed she hadn't even noticed. £130,000 Lamborghini. They, they call her here in the, in the TV biz the Tubby, former car saleswoman, caused thousands of pounds worth of damage to the luxury car. She was on holiday in Marbella. Um, I wouldn't let her in a £130,000 car at all. I would let her in a £50,000 car. The damage to the black uh, Gallardo sports car was so bad, the producers lost their 2500 deposit on it. Gemma was given the Swish convertible to film scenes for tonight's show, in which she drives to comfort pal Bobby Norris. She should have got the bus, really. Perhaps she's too big to get the bus, literally. Uh, over his relationship troubles with his uh, boyfriend, Harry Durbridge, who's admitted cheating on him with a, with a former partner which is hilarious, of course, for the rest of people watching. But on the way to the rendezvous, Gemma scraped the car, uh, the side of it, along a wall and damaged the wheel arch, although she claimed the engine was so noisy she didn't notice. I mean, she's quite clearly an idiot behind the wheel. I mean, how on earth do you get insurance for things like that? And the answer is, I have no idea. No idea. Uh, more on uh, makeover shows, because there's lots of makeover shows at the moment. I told you earlier on that Louisa Ziesman is going to be flying out to Prague or something like that to open a bar and take Blue with her. Perhaps they'll all stay out there forever. That would do us all a favour. But, but there are lots of them. There is like, there's a new one coming out. It's like Gardener's World and Ground Force meets Noel's Christmas Presents. As far as I'm concerned, the best, bar none, Christmas programme on the television. It was, it was great. Why it was ever axed, I've no idea. It's now put out by Sky, I think. But when the BBC did it, oh, it's just brilliant. Noel Edmonds has the gift for entertaining with his Christmas presents. So I still watch old programmes now because I still think they're some of the best things on television. It's nice when you get a programme that is, is family viewing. There's so, so little family viewing now that you get on the telly. You, you can't do it at all. Meanwhile, over in Big Brother... They're still trying to work out... One of the girls over there is coming on quite heavily. To, you won't know any of the people in it. I have no idea who these people are, but I watched uh, Big Brother's Little Brother uh, with Emma Willis the other night, and Biggins was on the panel with some girl. I don't know who she was, but she was sort of posh totty, but she was really ghastly. And I'm assuming she was from the Made in Chelsea programme, but I didn't know who she was. And another girl on there didn't know who she was either. And Biggins was saying, you know, so does this person have a have a boyfriend, this girl in there, who's coming on to one of the men, and the mother of one of the guys in there, who's apparently getting a bit of a rough time at the moment, said, well, actually, I met somebody who said they were the boyfriend of this girl. And then he phones up. His name's Sasha. And he said, yes, I am the boyfriend for about three years. So she's obviously playing some game. But there again, I thought they were all playing the game in the Big Brother house. The game is to try and work out who they are. Because you've got no idea. No idea. The only true EastEnder on EastEnders was the lovely Barbara Windsor, born in Hackney, if memory serves, says James in Camden. Yes. Uh, another one. Somebody says here, uh, it's just a bit of escapism. Doctor Who isn't real, neither is Star Wars. Mm, yes. 
That's exactly what we've said. We've said it's not real. We've said it's... it's, uh, it's, it's I can't bear it when people don't listen properly. It's so ghastly, isn't it, really? Because you have to sort of educate the, uh, the uh, ill-educated. And they are... They're not representative, because they're not supposed to be. They're soaps. It's a snapshot of British life. If a programme's successful, leave it alone. Well, they're not, are they, really? The audiences have fallen off. Now there's so much dilution going on. and so many, I mean, I couldn't tell you any of the characters in EastEnders now. I can just about struggle through some of the characters in Coronation Street. I know Michelle Keegan's dead, but I think that was for services to acting. I think they obviously decided she had to go. And she went back there the other day to do something. But what she's going to do with her career, I've got no idea. Reality show, I should imagine. It's where they mainly go, isn't it? They sort of come off television programmes. They go, oh, I'm going to be doing acting. And you think, no, you're not. Plenty more to come on your midweek early morning breakfast show from LBC with Steve Allen. I'm here till 6.30 before handing over to Tom Swarbrick with the morning news and Nick Ferrari at breakfast from 7. One rogue editor is the headline for The Independent and The Financial Times also leads with the verdicts. Painkillers are key to a longer life, according to The Express, which says cheap anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen could fight disease later in life. The Mirror has an interview with a woman who lived in a house in Mansfield without realising two bodies were buried in the garden. And a summer plague of fleas from hell is the bleak prediction in the star, claiming the recent mild weather has boosted the number of blood-sucking insects. I've been bitten. I've been bitten. All that and more from LBC. I'm Steve Allen. It's next. This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. We'll run through the front pages of the papers for you this morning, just so you've got a rough idea. I think I think you've got a basic idea anyway. If I say phone hacking, I think you're probably uh, well aware of, uh, of some of the things that have been going on. Uh, we'll talk about the £750 million free school meals fiasco, the Tory blunder, and a universal credit. Splash has done a belly flop off our screens, mainly because A, it didn't pull an audience, and, and B, they're probably finding it quite difficult to find celebrities who want to pose in their scanties on the television and learn how to dive off a board. Looked highly dangerous to me and frightened the life out of me. We spoke to Paul Young about it. How people could do it, I've got no idea. No amount of money would ever compensate. All of that and more between now and 6.30 on LBC. Liam Gallagher's fairly angry at the moment as well uh, because uh, the mother of his love child pulled out of a settlement at the, at the last minute. Lawyers for the Oasis legend uh, blamed uh, Lisa for the deal collapsing, claiming she kept challenging, changing her demands. Uh, Liam has been paying the journalist almost £3,000 a month since Gemma was born in New York 18 months ago. During yesterday's hearing... In the Manhattan Supreme Court, he phoned into the proceedings from London. Outside, his lawyer says she's a very hard lady to satisfy. This has been a tortuous route. She wanted a probe into the singer's net worth before she would agree to a settlement. God. You know it's going to get... Especially in America, isn't it? They're a bit hot on these things in America. So they say, wait a bit, so you're paying... £3,000 a month, which is £36,000. We want a settlement and we want to know exactly how much. I have no idea how much Liam Gallagher is worth. I wouldn't even like to hazard a... I would have tempted to ask the producer how much we would like to think Liam Gallagher was worth. I mean, I, I wouldn't have the faintest idea. What do you think Liam Gallagher's worth? £20 million, £30 million, Something like that? So she's obviously going to say, before I, I go a settlement, I want to find out what he's worth to see if we're going to get the maximum amount of money. There's always payback time, isn't there? Always payback time for people. And uh, he's no different from probably a lot of other fathers having to deal with that as well. The average working family make the paper today. Buying a first home means they can't afford 82% of properties on offer. 
Well, especially down here in London. And it's not just in London now. It seems to be spreading around the country. I know that there are parts of uh, Manchester and parts of Liverpool and parts of Newcastle where you can still buy houses at £50,000 and cheaper. Not down here. You wouldn't even buy a garage down here for that price. In fact, on, on the space where they did have a garage, they put up a block of flats and shops underneath it. I mean, literally, the place was the size of a postage stamp. Everything now is is being converted around our way, where I live, which is in uh, Middlesex, in Twickenham, which is very nice. We're on the banks of the River Thames. You know, you kind of stand on a rooftop with a telescope. You know, you do get the River Thames, and it's all very nice. But literally, office blocks are being converted into flats, because people are buying anything nowadays. So above one of the banks in town, 14 one-bedroom flats, which will be rented out to students or whoever, probably probably deciding that renting out is better than selling them to people. No parking spaces, no nothing. It's just... And there's no lift, so you've got to get all your stuff in and out of the, uh, in and out of the front door, which, of course, is clever because they've stuck a bus stop right outside it. So how that's going to work. The other thing, which I've, I've looked at every day, and I still can't quite get my head around, is that they're making Twickenham accessible to people who want to sit on the pavement. So we've now got huge pavements. For what, for what purpose? I've no idea. Perhaps it's for the influx of all the people on the buses. And so we've got all these sort of huge payments. I think it's going to be cafe societies. You can sit outside the charity shop and have a cup of cocoa or something whilst you're waiting for everything to set in. And, uh, and it's not really quite big enough to get people down. So if you're sitting in a traffic jam in the town centre, which we seem to have on a regular basis, because they're very slow at doing this, so they should be working day and night, get it finished as quick. Every other country, they manage to get things done quickly. Only over here do they drag it out. I've never seen so many people standing around, chatting away with fags on. You know, they've never seen so many unhealthy... At least they're wearing day-glow orange, so you can see them. We've now got cyclists all over the place on the pavements. They seem to think it's their God-given right to, to be on the pavement. And I'm seriously having issues with just how annoying it is. Especially if you're a mum with a push chain, you've got bikes coming up behind you. I advise mums, just clog up the pavements, like you do anyway, and, uh, and then just make the cyclists go in the road. That's where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in the road. They're not supposed to be on the pavements. And I really want some, some sort of enforcement coming in. Because it's, it's going to get quite dangerous. So now when you know people can't afford to live in place, what do they do? They rent. And as my parents said to me ages ago, they said renting is just like throwing your money away. You need to own a property. I know a, a programme controller of lots of radio stations. He, he moves around lots of different radio stations. Every time he got a new job with a radio station, he bought a property. And so now he's got a quite a nice little property portfolio, which is his, his nest egg for the future. Because I don't know how young couples do it nowadays. I really don't know how they afford to buy. A lot of people, they have to rely on the parents to buy a place, then they rent it from them. But they don't actually own it, do they? So now, if you think that 82% of properties are out of the range of most people, I don't know how much you need in London. I don't know how much you need in London. I mean, I would think, you know, if, if you're a, a couple and you're earning, say, would it be realistic to say £40,000 between two people? What are you going to get for that? Four fours of six, £160,000 property. Four times the, the salary. Four fours, sixteen hundred and six. What are you going to get for £160,000 in London? You're going to be living out in, uh, in Dagenham or something like that. You're very much geared, aren't you, to what you can afford to do. So that's why people live further and further out. And uh, I've got a friend of mine who lives out of town because he simply cannot afford to live in town. And his wife is expecting their first child. So they've got the expense of that. And so you need to go further out. But, of course, the further out you go, the more it costs you to come into town, which is where the work is. It's, uh, 
It's a chicken and egg situation. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, I'm afraid. So I understand exactly how bad it is for people. That's why it's fine, you know, if people win the lottery and they have all these wonderful things going on in their life or you've got parents that can help you out. My parents helped me out with my first property. There was no chance that I was ever, on the salary I was earning, going to be able to afford my first property. So they said... We did it for your brother. Wasn't aware of that. Uh, and they said, we'll do it for you as well. So I said, OK. So they lent me the deposit for my first flat and they paid all the legal fees. Because I could afford to pay the mortgage. I just couldn't afford to come up with a deposit, which I think was something like £16,000. Seems like a lot of money. And then, of course, I remember panicking, getting the bill in from the solicitor. And it was about £2,000 for the conveyancing and all the... Th- I think it was something like that. Whatever it was, I didn't have that much either. And they went, no, we'll, we'll pay that. And they bought my first bit of furniture and my mother got the curtains made. So, you know, that's... It. But then they had to save up for that and do that because they were in a, a better position financially. But lots of people aren't in that position. Their parents don't have that sort of money lying around to actually help the children out. So it's a, it's a huge problem, I think, for, and it's, it's not getting better. I mean, it's great if you're selling a property. It's great if you're an elderly couple and you've lived in a property for years and years and years and you paid maybe 30000 and now it's worth, if you're in the right area in London, it could be worth anything, up to a couple of million. Houses in, in Chiswick, which years ago would have gone for about 37000 years ago, are now worth, you know, £2.4 million in a road. And you look at them and you think, what's so special about them? People say, oh, it's got a wet room. You go, Really? A wet room. I mean, gardens are a thing of the past. And if you manage to get a parking space, it, you're on a bit of a bonus. But it's so difficult now. And it's, it's not just for, for young people. It's people who've maybe lost their jobs and they can't afford to pay the mortgage. So they have to go into the rental market. And an average flat renting around our way, where I live, is around about £1,000 a month. 1000 to 1200 a month. So in other words, you've got to come up with that. And then you've got to get yourself backwards and forwards to work before you've even put any food on the table, before you've even paid the council tax, before you've paid all your bills. It's very expensive. Small wonder more and more people share nowadays because it's the only way to do it. And hopefully by sharing, you can save the money which gives you the deposit. But uh, then there is that danger, which I discovered years ago. You move in with a good friend, you take out a joint mortgage and then you fall out. And then you're kind of stuck. You, You inherit the whole thing, depending on whether you move out or they move out. And, uh, and that's when you start struggling, and that's when people get themselves into debt on credit cards. And it becomes that never-ending nightmare of dreading it when the, when the postman comes round and he's dropping another thing through the door, and you know damn well it's from the bank. And you'll be getting one of those letters today. Somebody listening this morning will get one of those letters today saying, we're now going to foreclose, or worse still, you get the... bailiffs. Quarter past six. And it's on the morning of the State of London debate. Nick will be talking to the London Mayor Boris Johnson about what he makes of the phone hacking verdict. Plus, how has Leveson helped change the press? And should we ban the smoking of e-cigarettes in public? I don't mind people smoking them in public. I just don't want to be on a bus when somebody's smoking them, because some of them do have nicotine in. They always look slightly odd as well. Uh, Nick Ferrari and the team from Seven, Chris Blackhurst, Group Content Director of the Independent, the I, the Evening Sound and London Live TV, will be in the studio going through the front pages, which we'll run through in a moment. On the subject of water at Glastonbury, apparently, Stuart says they have over 400 water taps to fill up your water bottles, thus helping the environment. Well, big up them. Big up them. Uh, Eddie is taxi man. Uh, Jeff... Lovejoy. I just love that name, Lovejoy. Just, I can't believe anybody's actually called Lovejoy, which I, uh, which I like. 84850. And then I, I got a thing from Ian Dale the other day. He said, I've, I've heard that you've been... But of course, it was, I didn't say anything of the kind. Absolutely the kind. This was Christo doing a bit of stirring, as per usual. Don't worry, I've, I've put a private detective on it and we've sorted it out. And so poor old Ian Dale. Although I believe they've pulled the, uh, the Jaguar ads. 
but being a bit misleading. Very idea that Ian Dale's driving a Jaguar. Hilarious. And the other thing that's fairly hilarious, I often wondered where they got the clothes from on the X Factor, and they get them all for free. Mel B has been inundated with uh, designer outfits, so she's asked her fan to uh, help pick which one. Fashion House is desperate to get on the screen, are delivering clothes daily to her. So she's asked her 848,000 Twitter followers to decide between a black Versace or orange Ye Girl Azrul dress. I've never even heard of that. Uh, and then posted a picture of herself in the Versace. She said, thanks for the help. As if, of course, she's going to be taking any notice of what anybody who follows on Twitter says. She'll be making up her own mind and also her fashion designers. I mean, most people, you know, don't actually need to buy any clothes when they appear on television. They just... The, the designers send in tons of stuff and they want it to be worn because if it's worn, and I'm assuming Amanda Holden gets exactly the same, and I'm assuming Danny Minogue got exactly the same, they just pick out the item that they want to wear and they get it all pressed and they wear it. And then people will generally say, oh, that was a lovely outfit you're wearing. Where's that from? And they go, oh, this is Versace. And they go, oh, I'll go and get one of those. And so Versace for supplying a, a dress. Whether they get to keep them, I don't know. Can't just really borrow something, can you? And then send it back afterwards. I don't know. You probably could do, actually. You probably could do. Uh, before they made buses cashless, it's a shame TfL didn't think about putting touch pads so people could check how much is on the car before the bus arrives, save waiting around for nothing. Yes, but most people know, don't I? I mean, I always keep mine topped up. I mean, every sort of few days, depending if I've used the Oyster, I will, you know, at the station. Just sort of tap into it. It's a fairly easy thing to do. I don't understand why anybody can't ever do it. And you don't have to... Somebody said, what happens if you're blind? Well, you go to the corner shop and they'll do it for you. Just give them the card and they'll put £20 on it or something like that. Don't make obstacles for yourself. Goodness sake, honestly. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Uh, you don't seem to think it's a good idea, many of you, for sort of making EastEnders more ethnic or making it reflect what the uh, what the East End is. Just certainly judging by one of the stories we had this morning of the Bangladeshi youths attacking the gay couple. I mean, would you put that in EastEnders? Would that be there? No, they wouldn't put anything like that. That's why it's just a snapshot. That's why it's a snapshot. It doesn't actually mean... It, it doesn't mean that this is what the East End is exactly like. Uh, Corrie had gay characters, Todd and Marcus, Sean, Sophie and her girlfriend. Yes, it's absolutely rife up in Coronation Street, isn't it? I think they used to be... They used to shy away from uh, from stuff like that. You know, they didn't like to do it. They, they don't like to do controversial storylines and then blow me down. They do. Uh, another one says, you could afford the mortgage living at your parents, but not to save. That's the problem with people today. I wasn't living at my parents. I'd left, I'd left home quite, uh, quite early. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't stay at uh, my parents. I was, I was out at 16. I was up in London. I was working at uh, 17 in London. Uh, imagine living in the country where your biggest problem is cyclists on the pavement. Yes. It is dreadful round our way. It's absolutely awful. It really is. It's terrible. In Harlow Town Centre, says Kevin, the milkman, they've converted the old rank Hovis McDougall office building into 132 apartments. Good to see the building being used again. Yes, I can't bear... Set. We, we've got one on the LBC website. It's, I think, I think it's the, the capital's ugliest building that's for sale for some huge amount of money. Huge amount of money. Adrian says, Doctor and Star Wars may not be real, but Star Trek is fully and completely real. Everybody knows that. Yes, exactly. Trekkies are those sort of people who will just about believe anything. Helga says, my parents bought the house in Dulwich we live in now in 1963 for £4,300. My parents bought a house in Berkshire. They paid £6,500. Can you imagine? You can't believe, can you, in this day and age, young people listening, that you could actually buy a house. But I think the first house they bought was £400. 
I think that was the first money that they shared. Four hundred pounds. I wouldn't like to imagine what it's worth now. If it was in Richmond, it'd be worth about eight hundred thousand pounds. Little terrace houses fetching a small fortune in the East End, maybe not, but still two hundred thousand pound easily for little terraced houses in the East End. But I think six thousand five hundred, and when they sold it, they sold it for twenty four and a half thousand pounds. So it gave them a nice, a nice profit. Interesting, isn't it? Front of the uh, mirror today. Uh, as couple jailed for murder, my nightmare living at House of Horrors. This is a, a shocked mum has told how she unknowingly lived in the House of Horrors where two murdered OAPs were buried under the lawn. She couldn't quite work out why the flowers didn't grow there. I thought they'd have grown extremely well. It seems rather odd. You go around old cemeteries and uh, they do grow extremely well because when bodies rot down, they provide all the all the nutrients in the uh, in the soil. David Cameron yesterday apologising for hiring Andy Coulson. The vampire returns. This is Suarez again. But at least uh, England aren't pointless. Make up your own jokes. The Sun on the front page. Wannabes battling for a slot on the X Factor. Face an alleged queue-jumping fix. Because they're looking for certain people to fill up the programme. You know, so you'll have a few people who can sing, and then you'll have the silly people who are going to just annoy us, and we're going to go, don't be silly, you can't sing. Like that Chloe Mafia creature who turned up. I mean, ghastly in the extreme. And we had the Chawners and a few other people who were just silly show-offs. And they, they, they use them on the programme to fill it out before they get round to finding you know, a new boy band or a new singer or somebody whose grandfather's just sort of drowned or something. They'll always find somebody with a story. They have to have stories on these programmes. That's the only way you're going to get publicity. Uh, The Sun's front page is that, and also the Old Bailey sensation. Great day for red tops. Uh, The Times runs with the same... Former Sun editor cleared of all charges in hacking trial. Prime Minister apologises as Andy Coulson faces jail. Uh, One rogue editor is the headline on The Independence. The Express, the painkiller's key to a longer life. This is painkillers like ibuprofen. They say it can boost the chances of older people staying fit and healthy and avoiding conditions such as type 2 diabetes, arthritis and dementia. If, of course, you already have diabetes, arthritis and dementia. It's not going to change anything at all. The Daily Mail today questions over PM's judgment as spin doctory took to number 10, places jail for phone hacking, humiliation of Cameron, they say. Front page of the Telegraph, £100 million phone hacking trial ends in Brooks walking free and quitting the EU would put 3 million jobs at risk. Uh, Front page of the Metro for this morning, they're running with Coulson pays the price for phone hacking. I'm sure that will be discussed at length on LBC Today. I'm back with you tomorrow morning from four. Thank you very much indeed for your time and your company. Uh, Don't forget you can download the programme. You can podcast on lbc.co.uk. If you go there, you can discover all the the ways of uh, podcasting on LBC. Back with you tomorrow. Nick Ferrari and the team with you at seven with Boris. Next morning news with Tom Swarbrick. 